Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to another edition of the Urban Wire, brought to you by the Urban Coalition of Freelance Writers, where we shine a light on issues impacting the urban community. This is episode 45, and tonight we're we're going to have a pretty jam-packed show. We're going to have a really good show, and I believe Michael Snyder, my co-host, has just joined the line. How are you this evening? Oh, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well, you know, doing well, just trying to lay low and get, trying to get up, getting over this bug just been going around, you know. I don't know what's going on, but a lot of people I know have been sick and just kind of, you know, under the weather with this weather here in Indiana. You know how the weather is here. It's up and down and back and forth and around and around. You never, you never well, know. For those who aren't in Indiana, we had like upper 60s today, and this is December 3rd, so... <laughs> So, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, we're going to talk about a lot tonight. Uh, we have some guests that will be in here around 10, 15, 10, 20. We're just going to discuss um, uh, the issue of politics. And really we have a couple of um, people that are coming in that are from the Libertarian Party. We're going to get their uh, scope of um, things and just what is the Libertarian Party? You know, those of you who don't know much about them and um, what they stand for, um, you know, you'll be in for a treat tonight. So we're going to have them. Um, we're going to be talking about news, entertainment. We're going to have a jam-packed show. So we're going to jump right into things. Um, also, we're going to be discussing a couple of hot-button topics that have happened in the news here recently. Um, one that I really want to get on that's really dear to my heart that I really want to touch on is about a young boy, um, Emiliano Terry from Ohio that's been missing. Um, we're going to talk about about that and um, why hasn't, hasn't the news coverage been all over this. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, Cassandra Perkins that was killed by her uh, boyfriend, Jovan Belcher, and I believe it was, it was like a murder suicide type of thing. And I think I believe he pay, plays for the Kansas Chiefs. And we're going to get on that story. We're going to talk about the um, situation behind that. And just it's just very devastating to hear about how this man took his own um, girlfriend's life. I think it was his girlfriend, if I'm not mistaken. We're going to get the details on that. And um, also, we're going to talk about another story that taking place that hasn't really gotten a lot of news yet, but we're going to discuss this about a young man that was shot over loud music, and the, and the story is almost similar to Trayvon Martin, so we're going to talk about that. It's going to be a very heated and um, controversial show, so, you know, um, we want everybody to call in, and... Um, if you would like to call in, feel free to do so at three. Um, oh Lord, I'm about to give him my number. <laughs> yeah, area code six 
646-915-8200. Once again, that's 616-915-8200. Um, we're about to open the chat room. If you would love, if you would like to join the chat room, feel free to um, get right online at um, blogtalkradio.com. Um, it's free to make an account. Um, look us up under UCOFW and jump in the chat room with us. Um, pretty much that's about it. Uh, as always, I'm, I'm going to hand the mic over here to, or hand the floor over to uh, Mike and uh, let us know what's going on with Sunrise Humanity and anything that he wants to announce, and we're going to jump right into a couple songs. Uh, well, so far, uh, just I'm really re-examining the structure of what I've got and seeing what kind of improvements I can make to it, seeing what maybe different areas of holistic healing or spiritual growth I can maybe expand into a little bit more. And, hey, I'm always open to taking suggestions. If anybody would like to check out my website, it's uh, sunrisehumanity.com. Uh, Contact for me there is Michael at SunriseHumanity.com. You know, feel free to check it out and drop me a line if you would have any suggestions or any questions on any of this stuff like that, Reiki or other holistic healing types or anything to do with uh, spiritual or other type things like that. I'm always willing to take suggestions. All right, sounds good to me. Well, we're going to uh, jump right into a couple songs. Um, feel free, like I said, to call in, um, send your questions and comments. We do have a, a group page that you guys can join for show updates and um, show listing times. So um, if you are on Facebook, just look us up under the Urban Coalition of Freelance Writers or simply just type in UCOFW. Um, definitely join in the conversation. Um, if you have anything, like if you ever want to put, post, like, um, any news stories or if you have any topics or anything that you want to uh, bring up in the forum, feel free to do that. This, you know, we're just it's all about an online community. You know, um, we're all about respectful dialogue. Um, like I said, coming up at 10, 15, 10, 20, we will, be, be, uh, we will start our discussion with um, politics, and um, we have a couple of guests. One of our guests is Brad Lowry. Currently, he lives in Ohio, um, Mason, Ohio, and he's very um, active within the uh, Libertarian Party. So we're going to get his his side of the story on things and um, what what his what that particular party stands for. And I think Jr. is going to come in here, and then I have a, another guest that's coming in. His name is Kyle Butts. And um, we're just going to have a good show tonight. And um, we're going to have entertainment, like I said, and we're going to get into a couple stories. Um, I'm hoping we can get to them later on in the show. So um, keep it locked, and we will be back in a couple minutes. I'm going to play a couple songs, and then, um, yeah. So keep it locked. Wait, wait, mama need a 
it getting hard. Hard, that's what I'ma do.
Worldwide, we're going to go to one more song. We're going to go to Kiki Wyatt. Um, she's from Indianapolis. This is a song um, that's been out for a while called Nothing in This World. We're going to go to this uh, song really quick, and um, when we get done with that, we'll be able to jump right into our uh, show this evening. Once again, call us at 646-915-8200 if you have any questions. If you have any um, comments about anything that's said tonight, we would love to hear your responses. You know, um, like I said, we're all for respectful dialogue. So anyone that has anything that um, they would like to add to the discussion, uh, feel free to give us a call tonight. We're going to go to this quick song, and we'll be back.
right, welcome back to the Urban Wire, brought to you by the Urban Coalition of Freelance Writers, where we shine the light on issues impacting the urban community. Um, just want to give a shout-out to Brad Lowry. He will be coming on our uh, show here uh, in a little bit. And um, he has a link um, that I shared in our um, in our uh, group page for the Urban Coalition of Freelance Writers. And you can go check that out if you want to know more about him, um, about the uh, Libertarian Party and what they stand for. And you can check that out at www.facebook.com slash Brad for Liberty. And that's spelled B-R-A-D-F-O-L-I-B-E-T-R-T-Y. Okay. So, um, Michael, you still with us? Yes, I'm here. All right. So, did you have anything that you that you saw in the, you know, that's been, you know, out there that's, that interests you or? Uh, nothing that's really just jumped out at me here recently. I haven't been the news hound that I have been since the presidential stuff has died down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I, I really think that it hasn't been as much going on. I mean, well, it's been plenty going on, but you know, I think. People have been glued to the the TV set so long, you know, as it relates to you know the presidential um, election and and things of that nature, to where people aren't just people are kind of burnt out on current events and things like that. So you know, it's you know, there's always something going on in this crazy world mm-hmm. where you know we really haven't been paying, a lot of people haven't been paying attention. You know, just everybody's just kind of like burnt out and you know just glad that glad know, everything. Right, right. Yeah, I know uh, they're working on the fiscal cliff thing next, and uh, yeah. good luck with that. <laughs> that's that's going to be very, very interesting to see how that turns out. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get on a, a this is kind of like an interesting story, and it kind of leads to the double standard in society. You know, um, I was watching this story. And um, let me pull it up. It was about a teacher, and her name was by the name of. Um, let me get this right. Her name was by her name is Lucinda Rodriguez Caldwell, and she's a 41 year old married mother, but she's a teacher too. And I guess she was jailed for 10 years. She was charged with um, you know of child molestation. Of a twelve-year-old student, and you know, I wonder: Do you think that ten years fits the crime? Because to me, like a lot of people might say, you know, well, you know, he's a boy, so you know, he, you know, it probably wasn't a big thing to him. But do you but think well, if it was a, if you think it was a female student that was twelve-year-old? Do you think we even be will be having this discussion? Do you think that she would they would even want her to I mean if it was a male coming on to a female student, do you think that we wouldn't even be having this discussion and he'd be like trying to get twenty years instead of ten? Hmm. I don't know. I guess I have a for lack of a better term, equal opportunity offender kind of attitude for it. You did the crime just hit them with everything you got on it. 
I know it may not always be practical in the judicial perspective, but I think, you know, I'm sorry, sex crimes against kids, jail them for, away for the maximum. I don't care if it's a man or a woman or what it is. Yeah, and I, and I think that is too. I think that I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because I look at these stories just like the, the uh, I don't have the details in this story, but remember that teacher that slept with those boys, and, and I guess people were saying, well, they were at the legal age of consent. Now, that's so a, why that one there's a touchy subject because those students were technically, they were 18 years old. Yeah. You know, and the incidents didn't occur on school grounds. Now, I mean, that's a touchy subject there. You know, I'm, I got some mixed feelings and mixed thoughts on that. I mean, does it make what she did right? No. But would a normal person... Over the age of 18, I don't care if they're 18 that done it or if they're 45 that did it. If a normal person had done it, it wouldn't have been a crime. Right. But and I, but do you think if the school caught wind of that activity, do you think that her employment should be under question? Do you absolutely. think absolutely? Uh, because to me, that's walking a very thin line. And when when you become a teacher, you become a mentor, and you, and, and what you do, you know, I don't care what you say, what you do in and out of school, you know, says a lot about your character. And really, right, you, you know, know if you, you're sleeping with your students, and your students may be legal adults, you're still in a position of authority over them, I think they should absolutely be terminated from their teaching position. But if they're of legal age and legal consenting adults, I don't know about putting them in prison. I mean, I'm kind of iffy on that one. Yeah. I mean, because the law is the law. I mean, and and we may not agree. How should I put this? Your basis of morality does not have to necessarily line up with the law or vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Right. The law right. is the law. And we have to kind of look at the law from an unbiased point of view, you know. So, right. um, and speaking of which, we I think we have both of our guests um, online tonight. Um, Seven six five three nine three. Is this Kyle? I mean, not Kyle. This is this Dave. No, this is Kane. Oh, okay. How you doing, Kane? Hey there. How's it going? I know it's been a while since we've had you on the show. Yep. So did you catch the tail end of, well, what's up, 513, is this Brad? Yes, it is. All right, welcome to our show. Um, we're going to give him a, a formal um, introduction. Um, like I said, um, Brad is a part of the Libertarian Party of Ohio, um, very active in the, um, in the um, political scene down there. And we're just going to um, pretty much get a point of view from him on um, just the different things that are going on in the world of politics and what, what his party and what their party stands for. And um, this is going to be an educational experience for me, too, because I really, um, I really don't know much about the Libertarian Party, but, um, you know, I'm all for being educated. Um, if people have any questions, like I said, once again, feel free to call at 646 Nine one five eighty two hundred. Um, let's see. 
But before we get into that, um, did you catch the tail end of what we were just discussing, Kane? I mean, what do you feel about um, child predators, like especially these teachers? And it seems like it's been more women lately that have been uh, hooking up with these, you know. Um, They've been coming into the spotlight. These young boys. How do you feel about that? Do you think that the law should come down just as hard on them? as if it was, you know, a male teacher seducing a female student. I see no reason why it shouldn't. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Uh, I I said I see no reason why it shouldn't. I mean, um, there's no difference between an an adult woman, um, you know, uh, seducing or taking advantage of a child Compared to you know an adult male, whether it's a, a woman with a, a girl or a boy or a man with a boy or a girl, I mean it should be the same punishment for for either. And I and you know and I agree with you um, totally. And but you know it's unfortunate that we live in a society where where young men are rewarded by being quote unquote sluts. And being whores and being promiscuous, they're, they're they're rewarded for that. That's a positive thing. But if a woman does the same thing or a young girl does that, she's labeled as a whore, a slut. You know, she's labeled as nothing. You know, so I really think that we have um, double standards when it comes to that. You know, what I'm saying like, so I've always wondered when we hear stories about women teachers preying on. Young boys, I mean, we take it as seriously as you know, the older man, you know, preying on younger girls. I've, I've always wondered about what people think. Yeah. All right, um, Mr. Lowry, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you how you became involved with um, the world of politics and particularly with the Libertarian Party and, and what caused you to become, uh, to get on board with their platforms and their beliefs? Absolutely. First of all, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity uh, for allowing me to come on and talk with you guys today. So I thank you very much for the opportunity. When I was in high school, I was a, I labeled myself as a Democrat because I was a compassionate person. I felt the need, you know, that the government should help people. You know, I don't like to solve the people going hungry or going without homes. And to me, I saw the government as a solution. I was never a big fan of war. Um, I'm 28, so when I was in high school, as you were also with Seneca, we had the start of the war on terrorism. So it was a very hard thing to wrap your head around to have that war on terrorism. And then, you know, the passing of our, of our student, uh, of a fellow student in our school by the name of Jessica Howling, and start really connecting, you know, the deaths with that type of war, then it dragged on for 11 years. So I've always been relatively anti war. I got into the um, real world, started making some money. And then I realized, well, you know, I'm pretty for these, you know, pretty, from, pretty much for my gun rights. I enjoy having a gun. Um, but on the flip side, I don't like paying a whole lot in taxes. I, you know, don't like funding this huge government fight, which are the Republican Party. But I never really abandoned my uh, social, liberally, you know, social liberal viewpoints, which was, you know, uh, marriage equality, acceptance of everyone, and just civil justice. After the 2008 election with John McCain, I completely abandoned the GOP. I realized that the party stood for things which I no longer stood for, which which was against a woman's right to choose, 
was not for marriage equality. They did not believe in social justice. They did not believe in uh, civil rights. So I abandoned. I became politically homeless. By chance, I stumbled on the libertarian platform, and I saw they were socially accepting but fiscally responsible. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is exactly who I am. Delved a little deeper in the, po- uh, the platform, and it just, you know, there's a few things which you know, I didn't necessarily agree with, and now I've kind of changed my mind on, and there's still one or two items which I don't agree with 100%, but that's the beautiful thing is we don't all have to agree 100%. So I think it's a nice, critical third voice to start having a political discourse in this country where we can have the conversations and, and actually talk about different topics from different perspectives. Correct. I um, um, just wanted to jump in real quick, and um, we have another caller online. Uh, I believe it's Jr. Hey, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, Mr. Jr. Um, we uh, are currently in the discussion of um, the Libertarian Party, and we do have a representative from um, from Ohio um, by the name of Brad Lowry, and he's definitely um, already informing us, you know, very informative of what. Um, their party stands for And how he became a part of the Libertarian Party So I have a, a question So sure. um, is, it, is it fair to, to You know say um, Kind of you know Summing up like um, the Libertarian Party This is what I've noticed um, Where they are um, When it comes to social issues Like you said as far as marriage equality Women's rights um, Things along that nature They tend to lean more to the left. Now, would you say that that is more of a it's kind of like progressive point of view? Are they more progressive or are they just to the left? How do you, how would you say that? I, I definitely uh, feel we're the most progressive party as far as social rights. We've had marriage equality in our platform now since our inception, which has been over 40 years ago. Now, some people okay. view some of our economic policies as not being very progressive, but we counter with the fact we don't feel the government's the best solution to these economic injustices that we see in our country. But if you, as far as, you, you know, woman's right, your ability to walk down the street and not be harassed, you know, by a huge police state, your ability to go through an airport and not be degraded by going through body scanners or these uh, intrus- intrusive sur- searches on your person, we're the only party that really truly stands for your right to be you in this country without government interference. And I think that's truly the most progressive social viewpoint you can have. Yeah, and and as far as like um, your point of um, your party's point of view on government, what what do you think? What is what is the government's role as far as um, you know it relates to the American people? What um, would you say that your viewpoint as far as government like involvement with people's daily lives does it kind of match up more? With the Republican Party, or I mean, is it kind of like individualistic? Um, how, how does that line up? Yeah, the Republican Party has this horrible misconception that they are for small government and personal freedom, and in fact, they have done nothing to advance those two agendas, at least in our lifetime. Uh, they are the worst party for spending money. They spend more money than Democrats. They are the worst party for civil justices. They are the worst party for reducing the size of the size of the government. But one, we don't try to align ourselves too much with the actual actions of Republicans. Uh, our view on government is it's smaller and more efficient. It's going to be a much more effective government. 
we have a huge bureaucracy which has not been effective for us. We're sixteen trillion dollars in debt. We have this huge myriad of laws that really are not effective in day to day life. We feel that the government's job really is to protect contracts and that's through the judicial system and for national defense. Those are the two main tenets of what the government should do. Now granted, I'm you know, I'm not calling for complete anarchy where you disband the government tomorrow. There's obviously a need for the government. Your roads, police, fire departments, absolutely. But do we do we need, you know, three hundred different agencies dictating what we do in every aspect of our life? I don't feel we do. Right. So, um, you know, on this on this on this show, you know how we are. We you know, we're gonna get we're gonna be critical on all sides, you know. So uh and and you know, and I know me and you have discussed this brand and uh, I want you to in your opinion, which for on both sides, you know, all three sides, like what what is the main um, the main, I guess the way I, I guess the question I have is like, what are the main criticisms that you have um, when it comes to the Democratic um, Party and as far as Republicans are concerned, and what what things would you like to see improved within your own party? Um, because I think a lot of people want to know the pros and cons of each party, and uh, from your point of um, view. Um, what are what are your stances on that? Sure, uh, and and I will admit I'm a little bit more friendly to Democrats than I am Republicans. I have not much left for Republicans, so if my answer comes off as a little bit more critical to them, that would be why. As far as the Democratic Party, I really truly they need to feel they need to return back to the progressive nature, which is being the party of peace. You know, being anti-war, being the party that stands up for the common person. You know, fights against crony capitalism. That fights for marriage equality, that fights for civil rights, that doesn't support NDA, the Patriot Act, which you know will indefinitely detain you in this country without ever talking to a lawyer. That's what the Democratic Party needs to return to. The Republican Party, in my opinion, needs to return to their roots, which is which really should should be a party of bigots, you know, a party of rich old white guys that just hate everyone that's wow. different than than they are. <laughs> I mean we look at this last election where they when I was when I was talking about the the GOP candidate that had that very insensitive rape comment, and people's response would be which one? Because they had so many. It's that's not as party of acceptance in my opinion. They need to return to fiscal responsibility, reducing the size of government. And really, if you look at the viewpoint of reducing the size of government, that's not legislating your morality on the nation through your beliefs on marriage equality, a woman's right to choose, or you know the war on drugs. It's getting the government out of those decisions. That's what a small government's about. And and exactly. these parties need to return so back there. Um, from your from your from your um, standpoint, as far as social programs are concerned, how can we um, begin to improve these 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 programs for one? And do you think? I mean, what place do you think that they should have within our government? Like, um, what what is the libertarians? Um, uh, standpoint on social programs, um, and, and from your point of view, how can we begin to improve the um, services, if not, you know, anything, or we should cut back on them? Sure, and that's a good dovetail to my criticism about the Libertarian Party on work right into that social programs. Uh, my criticism of the Libertarian Party is the fact that we have some very, very principled people that sometimes refuse to. Um, adjust their viewpoints or in order to compromise in order to get things done. If you look at a true libertarian viewpoint, our the technical stance would be to eliminate all these social programs 
because it's not a function of the government. That's a function uh, a function of private of the private sector, which did a phenomenal job in this country really for years. Um, you know, up until the late uh, really the 1910s, 1920s, get a lot of private sec sec um, sections that took care of the social welfare. Now, I'm not calling for a complete elimination of those things tomorrow. It's, it's not to be expected. You've built up a program. You need to do the best in order to get people off these programs and give them a hand up, right. not keep them down. A good example is I had an employee apply at one of my Jimmy Johns. I went for Jimmy Johns. He turned down the job offer because he was going to make less at my job than he was going to be on unemployment. Now, one, I understand his viewpoint. I'm going to make more money at unemployment than I am at Jimmy John's. However, what type of what have we just done to to get that guy back in the workforce, being productive, you know, to minimize his need for government assistance? We've done nothing there except encourage him to sit at home and do nothing. So these programs need to be looked at. They need to be revisited. They need to be more efficient. We need to have a uh, safety net for the neediest people in this country, but we also need to reexamine who's the neediest people in this country. You have 47% of Americans who don't pay income tax. Now, unlike the Republicans, I see that as a good thing. I would like to see a complete elimination of income taxes in this country and reduce it to either a consumption tax or a tax or tariff. Um, so one, I kind of, it's kind of a good thing. They're not paying taxes. These people want to be free economically. They want to be making money. I have yet to meet anybody that says, you know what, I'm really happy living in poverty and living off the government. I'm sure there's one or few individuals out there that do, but I've yet to meet that person. But when you create a system where they're, where they're unable to go out and earn money for themselves because they're, they're going to lose their benefits, what you've done is you've effectively put your, net, your foot on their neck and you're keeping them in poverty. You know, you're if you're providing housing, food, you know, uh, money for clothing, medical care, and you say, well, hey, if you work 40 hours a, a week doing this job, you're going to lose half your benefits, then what option do they have? You know, Correct. they have no option but to maintain, to uh, stay on those on those programs. So the libertarian viewpoint would be to just make these programs more efficient and give them steps out of poverty. You know, give them a chance to get out of the workforce. Allow industries to come back in this country to start building factories here again. And we can do that through an elimination of the corporate income tax. Allow these businesses to come back and employ the best workers in this entire world, which, are, which is the United States of America, and give these people steps out of poverty instead of keeping your foot on their neck. Forcing them really into a cycle of poverty as I see it. All right, Brad, we're going to uh, pause for a quick minute and we're going to get back to the question. But I just wanted to give our callers um, a chance if they had any questions for you or any comments so far. Um, I don't know who, want, who wanted to maybe start off. Um, I don't know, J.R., Kane, Michael. I've got a question. Michael. Uh, Kane? Okay. Um, All right. I've got, I've got a question about the libertarian viewpoint on eliminating taxes. Now, you, sure. you, you spoke to um, the aspect of taxes that are used for um, a social net for people that are unemployed or aid to, to, to dependent children, that kind of thing. Um, what about other aspects of taxes, uh, such as the taxes that are earmarked for public good, like Libraries, our roads. I mean, I mean, how, if we eliminate a large portion of taxes, how are these public goods going to be paid for? 
we cannot expect a private corporation to maintain our roads because that private corporation, their their main, the whole reason they exist is to make money. So if we turn something over like maintenance of the, the interstate highways to a public company, they're going to start setting up toll booths, and we're going to still end up being taxed in the manner of speaking because they're going to want us to pay money to drive on that stretch of road between Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio. Um, great question. And the, the premise we're going to take your two different routes here, so just follow with me. The premise of taxation is taxation is technically, technically theft. Uh, we have an entity that's taking money from people by coercion, and that's inherently it's wrong. Now, I'm not calling for elimination of all taxes because, well, one, we have to operate as a country. We do need money for loads. We do need money for you know, social programs. What I'm calling for is... So what I'm calling for is really changing the way we collect oh, money. Oh, you know you want to stay longer? You know you want to oh. stay longer? Oh, that's right. I mean, they are. Anyways, continue. Okay, sorry about that. So anyways, so you're still going to have a need for, you know, the roads and so forth. Technically, we could get by on a private entity, and it would be a usage tax, because if someone's not driving on the road, should they really be paying for something they're not using? You can run the argument that, hey, it's for the common good of society. That's fine. But if we do it through a consumption tax or through a tariff, you're collecting the same amount of money. It's just you're collecting in a different shape or form. The Libertarian Party of Ohio would end our endless wars. They would reduce the size of our military, which that's really over 25% of the money we're spending right now is just on the cost of our military, which is over 14 times the size, I'm sorry, which collects as much money as the next 14 countries behind us do combined. So we definitely would not be attacking social programs and things of that nature first, but there would be a system-wide cut if Libertarians were to be put into place to make things more efficient. Um, you know, a pure libertarian might say, well, hey, we can do roads, fire departments, um, all that through the private sector, which, yes, it is possible. Those things are possible to do through the private sector. But most libertarians now are becoming more moderate. We, those are not areas we want to touch. We just want to make everything a lot more efficient and collect taxes through either tariffs uh, or through a consumption tax, tax like the fair tax, which I'm a huge fan of because it's uh, taxation that you have to agree to. If you want to spend money, then you agree to spend that money versus a forced tax to the income tax, which has done nothing to benefit the society. You have over a 16,000-page tax code, which is written for a billion-dollar company. And yet, at this present day, we are still, Americans enjoy the lowest tax rate of most of the Democratic West. And, and uh, in fact, our, our tax rates in the past were higher than they are today. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm not sure I, I agree with the argument to well, either do me, away with taxes or lower, you know, just lower them even lower than they are now. I mean, you 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 discuss um, social programs such as uh, um, welfare or uh, unemployment, whatnot. There are, let's take Sweden for example, which has a very high tax rate. But and yet, the Swedish people know that at some point, if they are unemployed, they're going to be taken care of, and they can get back into the workforce eventually. And they have no argument with paying those 
you know, higher tax rates because they, everyone is taken care of. There's a, a social network, and I, I think there are some people that have entitlements today that don't feel that any obligation to the other members of society, and those are the people that are arguing against you know, or arguing for even lowering taxes even more than they are today as they exist today uh, we, we can also look at countries we can look at like Singapore and Hong Kong I mean Hong Kong mm-hmm. until recently didn't even have a minimum wage uh, Singapore does not have a minimum wage those are two of the most economically advanced societies in this entire world uh, the, where we need to be careful about comparing other countries to America Sweden for example has a population of nine and a half million people I just talked to some Swedish uh, reporters actually uh, about a month and a half ago for the Gary Johnson campaign and you're definitely right. And that's as a society, they agree, hey, this is the path we want, to, we want to go down. But with a population of 330 million people, we have to be a little cautious about the way we operate. There is an argument to be made that maybe we're too big of a country. Okay, may, so, let me ask a question here on the libertarian. Go ahead, Michael. I know you had something to say. Go ahead. Well, I mean, because I think in a, and I'll say this, in a perfect world, the paradigm <clears throat> That you're speaking of, and I want to see, make sure I'm contemplating this correctly. Um, if all of these things, such as not just entitlement programs, but you like to say we have 300 federal agencies, if those were cut back, lawmakers' salaries were cut back, because I'm sorry, I don't think they should make a whole hell of a lot more than I do, um, and a lot of the taxes were reduced we would still be able, if we didn't have to fund all these extra programs and all these extra costs, that are you saying then that this paradigm would fit more accurately into a financial perspective? Is that, that's kind of what I'm getting from it. Is that, am I going the correct direction with this? Correct. It's just making the government more efficient. The people have the misconception that we're going to cut all these programs tomorrow. Everyone's going to be starving to death, and, and that's completely inaccurate. <clears throat> Let's look at the Department of Labor, for example. Not, I'm sorry, the Department of Education. That's an organization that could be completely eliminated tomorrow, and we could be fine. Finland, which has the the best educational system on the planet, no questions asked, controls their educational system through through their state. We can do the same exact thing in America. In fact, we did up until 1979. So there's a department that's really not doing any good <clears throat> for the quality of education in this country that could be eliminated or drastically have their budget cut. So would you have yeah. the states then, in essence, take up that? Absolutely, just like just like Finland is doing. And, but we can make it. We can make the government smaller. We can reduce the drastically reduce the size of our military, which. We spend as much as the next 14 countries behind us do it combined. We can cut it by 43% and return to 2003 levels of funding. Okay, and and if, we do that, military. if we I'm do sorry? reduce the military in the fashion that you're speaking here, if we do that, do you realize that the money intake of China is putting 52% of their money into their mm-hmm. military? Uh, I would really question your number on that. We spend seven times as much as uh, China, China does on their military. Hey, Jim, China has absolutely this, no a brand-new aircraft carrier, and it's now able, able to launch warplanes. Let them. Why would they go after their biggest customer? 
we are so tied into China. And I'm not, here, you know, and I'm not disputing the facts of that, but what I'm saying is, for example, if we do lower that, do you, where is that going to put us in a perspective? You know, and I'm not, we have to keep up with the Chinese because obviously in the Naval Department, we can still outmaneuver the Chinese. Well, one, military warfare is completely changing the way we do the way we do war. We no longer need to have these mass standing armies. By reducing it to 43%, that returns us to 2003 levels of funding. We were still a superpower in 2003. We still have the largest military in the world. We'll still spend four times as much as China does on their military. What I'm saying is we need to spend less. Do we need a 1,000 military bases across the world? Most likely not. Do we need to be bombing countries such as Libya? Do we need these drones that are dropping bombs on innocent civilians? No, of course not. We don't need to have 40 bases surrounding Iran. 20 would probably get us by. So we can make common sense reductions in spending, but the problem is the Democrats and Republicans refuse to have this conversation. The Republicans, one, would spend as much money on the military as humanly possible if they were allowed. The Democrats would call for a 2.5% reduction in military spending, and you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, I'm all for, you know, you know, I could I could see where the military could maybe stand to cut back. You know, I think all the departments could stand to cut back myself. I think the politicians out there in D.C. that could also stand to take a pay cut myself by maybe about you know, fifty thousand dollars. But I could wear that t-shirt. So, are you there? So one, yeah. So one thing, Jr. Do you have something that you want to you want to jump in and say anything? Say say something, Jr. I know you've been sitting here waiting. Uh, uh, Dallas is a black one. 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 Dallas the United States is one of the countries that leads the rest of the world, even in peaceful endeavors. Well, Michael, if if you guys don't mind if I jump in on and address something there, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, um, since the election of uh, Bush in, um, you know, uh, what was it, ten, twelve years ago, um, it was stated in their in their in the, the White House policy, it was stated, explicitly stated, that their, one of their goals is to maintain American hegemony in, world, in the world stage. Um, and I think, I think maybe what uh, our guest, uh, I'm sorry, what's, what's your name? Sorry, from Brad? Yeah. Um, I think maybe what you're saying is that there's no longer any need for America to maintain or even bother to maintain hegemony on the world stage now that the Cold War is over? To an extent, absolutely. We need to change the way that we approach our military and the way we approach our relationships with the world. You know, it's it's just a different – we live in a different time now. And I, and I would agree with that, that I, I see no reason why America needs to try to pursue hegemony uh, – China is a growing power. China is the largest country in the world population-wise. Uh, America, we still have the greatest wealth. I think we can pull back on that. 
Uh, it's history. If anything, history has shown us that empires rise, empires fall. It's going to happen. Sure. The British Empire has survived, or the, the British people have survived just fine after World War II without having, you know, with the collapse of their empire. Um, and they're still a rich and wealthy country. But I would like to go return, if, if Michael, if you don't mind, uh, unless you have something else to say on this topic, I'd like to return to something else. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, I'm just gain a little better understanding on some of the perspective there, because I, I can uh, I could see where some of the approaches could work, if the like I said in a perfect world if you cut certain things across the board and you shifted the money and you freed it up and you put it into this or that and you change things around I guess you know in that paradigm I guess it could possibly work, but I just wouldn't I would be very I per, and it's just me personally I'd be very leery of it, but this comes from my lack of understanding as well. well any, anything can work perfectly on paper. Communism works fantastic on paper. Yeah, it, might not be the, it might not be the perfect real-world solution. And, I, and I'm one of these rare libertarians that will go, maybe we're not 100% right. But what's the core of this issue is the fact that we can all agree that the two legacy parties, the Democrats and Republicans, have failed us. We are $16 trillion in debt, and the only thing I hear from any of the two parties is, well, if they gave us everything we wanted, we wouldn't be in this mess today. Well, no. The problem is you guys have failed to compromise. You guys have failed to have political discourse on this country, and that's where a third party is going to be critical to help force this conversation. Uh, I, want, I, I could agree I with you entirely on that. I really could. I uh, an emergence of a, political, a third political party with, that had some muscle – that could yeah. get in there and actually influence things, I think would be a great help. It would be, and that's what we all need to just realize, is the two-party system has failed us and failed us tremendously. You were talking about cutting the pay of uh, politicians. Absolutely. But can we trust the same two parties to cut their own pay when we continue to vote them in year after year after year? Absolutely not. They're not going to do anything to endanger their quality of life. Exactly. It's just as simple as that. So the core of this issue isn't, does Brad have the perfect solution? I like to think I do in my mind. However, I realize the fact that we're a country of many. There's 330 million people in this country, and my, and my voice does not speak for all of them. But what we can have is have representation that speaks for our voices so we can have a political discourse, so we can compromise and say, so we can go, you know what, Brad, you're right on the military thing. We can reduce our budget, but you need to give me a little bit here. And that's you know that's the conversation I'm willing to have with somebody, in order to help advance you know the country in the right direction. Because I truly feel all three parties, or even the other third parties that are not represented on this phone call, have the common goal to make America the best country on this planet. I really truly feel that's our common goal. Now I do have one more libertarian question. Sure. And that is one of the aspects. The only thing that I had ever been told about the Libertarian Party. Now, I myself am a Democrat, but I happen to reside in what I call the middle of the Republican Ocean. <laughs> but I was always told when I said, well, what just is the Libertarian Party about? I was always told that they want smaller government and everything free. That's just the premise that I was told. Now, given I was told that by a bunch of Republicans – do you feel that there is any truth to that, or do you feel that that is – just from the discussion that we've had tonight, do you feel that that's somewhat accurate or not entirely? It depends, 
it depends on their definition what they're talking about for free. If they're talking about things handed to us, they're completely wrong on that. We are the party of, you know, if you earn something, it's yours, keep it. No one has a right to your stuff besides you. On the flip side, that means you don't have a right to take my stuff from me. You know, you can't come to my house and say, Brad, listen, I need $100 to pay bills today. Give me $100. You don't have that right. Um, but we are the party of, obviously, private, you know, charities and so forth and things like that. But we want to live free. You know, I don't want the government interfering in my day-to-day life on things they don't need to interfere with. So you would um, say on the aspect of advocating for a smaller government that functions yeah. more efficiently would be the primary focus then? That, that's absolutely our primary focus is to reduce the size of the uh, government, make it more efficient, and retort, return as many civil rights to you as possible, eliminating the NDAA, the Patriot Act, um, you know, TSA, all these organizations that are there solely to infringe upon your civil rights, which are unalienable. They are these rights given to you and dealt to you by your creator, which is in our Constitution. Um, I'm sorry, Declaration of Independence. Um, these are the things that are inherent to us, freedom of speech, you know, freedom of religion. We want to make sure that you live as free as humanly possible. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, let me um, jump in here with a few callers that have joined. I want to see if they have anything to say. Um, 317-828, um, do you have anything to say or add? This is the best I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, wait a minute, Jake. Okay, that's day on. Uh, six oh five three one seven six oh five. Um, do you have a question or a comment? Because I know Jr. is about to go in, so I need to get this call out the way. For um, can I? Ask yes, you, I do uh, have a question. Yeah. I was uh, listening into the conversation between the man who claims he's a Democrat, kind of on the road to Republican, and I've been listening to. The Libertarian and his, you know, proposals of how he would better allocate, you know, tax dollars and um, kind of shift the budget around and, and different programs and such that he would focus on and things like that. And I just heard uh, the gentleman's comment on what Democrats claim to be that we just want free stuff, you know. And it's really, um, from my standpoint as someone who kind of, you know, grew up not in a poor family, just in a middle class family, you know, and I went to school, I did the right formula, I did everything that they told me would be the road to success, right? So um, at this point, the kind of um, challenges that I suffer are from the government and, and how their programs are supposed to make us better actually, you know, prevent us from moving forward as a struggling entrepreneur myself. I have a small business, I'm trying to get off the ground. And um, so it's, you know, about the dollars that are available, if you have people, I mean, we always focus on the 250000 you know, tax bracket. But really, you know, if the, the people who actually have the money aren't um, circulating the money, spending the money, putting it back out there so it's up for grabs for us to go out and get, or there aren't programs that are helping to start those jobs or, you know, education and, and private schools and that money following those heads and things like that. Like, I could go all over the map, but really my question for the gentleman who's the libertarian about the tax dollars, it's like, how, why do we not tax the, the people that are in the million dollar and above range? Like, why why start with the 250000 Why not go to the people who actually have an abundance of money and can afford, you know, to pay more? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, I hope you didn't get the perception that I, I think Democrats only want free stuff, because that's definitely not true. Um, the question I will have for you is, if we took every dollar Warren Buffett had, 
who is the well, second wealthiest man I think in America currently, how many days would that uh, keep the federal government running? Just the federal government. Every dollar the second richest man in America has. It would keep the government running for four and a half days. The second richest man in America, every dollar he has, four and a half days. At one point, we have got to realize this is a spending issue. If we took the dollar of the richest people in this country, you know, the the ultra-wealthy, people who have money, we couldn't even fathom. We couldn't get by a single year in this country with that money. So what happens next year? Where are we at then? Well, we've already broken those people. We're, you know, at one point, you have to reduce the amount of money we're spending and make a more efficient government. So you also so, have to enable more people to start producing. You know, that's where we're stunting people is the education. And, I mean, you know, the, the fact that it's based on the income level in that district is what, you know, goes to those schools. If you're just talking about private schools, not you know, charter schools, you know, how is that creating an equal education? I mean, if you don't have right with the internet now, and why can't we just broadcast? You know, the smartest people behind the webcam and make um, education and information free for everyone. So at least people are starting out with the right tools, and then you can implement programs in between to help them placement. A lot of people they don't know what they're good at. They need to discover. Need to. I mean, now they have smart labs, and a lot of these you know uh, charter schools are helping children now at a small age, you know, figure out what they're good at in order to develop that through projects all the way through, you know, K through 12. So when they graduate, they know what they want to major in, you know, because that was something I didn't know. I spent two years and wasted money trying, you know, switching my major three times to figure it out, you know. So, you know, I, don't, I think it's, you know, absolutely by what you're saying, you can't, you know, you can't take from the rich and hope to sustain because it's not going to work, but we have to get more people producing and not just keep, you know, teach a man to fish, you know what I'm saying, not just give him the fish. You're correct. So we have to look at what's driven industry away from this country. What forces a, con- uh, a company to go across the border or to go to a different country and produce there? Because it costs our labor costs. It's, helping, it's not really helping another an economy. It's helping us sustain our level of living. I, I only called about half of what you said there, but I'm, I saw what you said labor costs. Because, um, you know, we're not outsourcing jobs to other countries to help their economy. We're doing it because we can charge less, because they'll take less than we will, because our cost of living in America is much more. So they're, they're willing to do the work for less abroad, so we take the deal over there, but it's not really us giving them work to help their economy, you know, build into something like America has or whatever. You know, it's more to sustain our living at their at their expense. So not only, you know, are they costing Americans the jobs that they take overseas, but they're also exploiting other countries to uphold their level of living, you know. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, Does that make sense? Mind, that's, that's also American greed that will drive those decisions because, one, we have to have the newest, latest, and Sure, but there has to be some control on that at the top. I mean, these are people without accountability. They don't have accountability to each other. Do we have an open book to their budgets and how they spend the money? Yeah, we know $2 trillion more dollars is going to go to the military if it were up to Romney. So, you know, but let's, look at what, let's look at what we can do to return industry back to this country, which is going to give us places for the educated workforce to go to. I agree, education in this country is abysmal. Now, you and I might disagree on how we're going to fix it. I say eliminate the Department of Education, which has done nothing to help it. Let's start modeling yeah. for which is more state-based. Now, there's some states I would be terrified to allow their education, like Mississippi. There's, 
frankly, if they want to secede, let them. I'm not going to cry many cylinders over Mississippi. But we need to start looking at 50 factories of innovation, 50 labs of innovation, and see which states are going to do well. And inherently, states that do well are going to attract the businesses, are going to attract the wealthy, and states that aren't going to do well are going to be forced to change. If not, everyone's going to abandon that state. So if we eliminate the income tax, which, once again, not eliminating all taxation, just income, and do a consumption-based tax, the majority of businesses would return to this country. Oh, hold on. Can I interrupt or no? Hold up, guys. We have a couple more callers that I want to give everybody a chance. We're going to come back to each other. There's a couple more people that have called, and I want everybody to have a chance because this is a really hot button topic tonight. Six. Three one seven six six four. Do you have a question or a comment, Jr.? We'll get back to you because I know how you are, Jr. No problem. No problem. I'm hanging in here. But I know we have. We actually have three more callers. Um, so we just going to get everybody. Everybody can, if you can, keep keep your questions like to a couple minutes. We we're having a lot of callers call in tonight. Three one seven six six four. Do you have a question or a comment, or are you just listening at this point? Okay. Um, okay. Um, caller three one seven two nine four. Do you have a question or a comment? Or are you listening at this point? Listening. Okay. Uh, I think uh, uh, Dave, is that you? Are you online? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, I know you. I know we were talking about this earlier. This is another one of my guests that was going to come on tonight. Um, so what, so, so, so what do you, I know you've been listening to the show. Um, yes, sir. what, what are your comments? Um, okay, we got six, six, four, but we're going to get back to them in a second. Well, hold up. Let me see, check real quick. Well, I just, you have. know, I, I, I appreciate, you know, hearing everybody's opinion. I didn't know a whole lot about the Libertarian Party, uh, before this evening. So it's, uh, it's enlightening to know, um, you know, a little bit about the differences and everything, but. You know the the economy is, is is so tied into the to the way the whole world works that you know I think it's short sighted to think that we can you know fix the world economy by fixing our own economy. But the the main thing I would say is that you know our our focus has to be here first so that we can be able to do that, be strong as you know as the leader of the world. But uh, unfortunately, with you know we're kind of on a credit card that, that's owed to China, so it's like we have to work with. Uh, what we can do with their company. I think one of the things the president was trying to say is that, you know, some of those jobs are lost and are coming back. And I think uh, that'd be a good stopping here. Can we, can we get some of those jobs back or should we just, you know, create more, you know, American ideas that, that generate new and new industries and new new jobs for our company, for our country? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'd like, like to hear those guys. I'd like to hear them understand that because, you know, a lot of those jobs are, 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 are jobs we, we won't get back. I think that's a good point because I'm what do you have to say about that? Uh, about the jobs we won't get back? Well, like the, you know, the, the factory jobs. And the, you know, certain, we, we need some of these cheap products for our company to keep going the way it is right now. Their factories we're not going to get back. It's a simple that, you know, times have changed. The world's changing. We're no longer manufacturing widgets, you know, in uh Little nowhere, America. Someone has a radio. I think that's why I'm getting feedback. Okay. If someone's listening, uh, please set the radio down. Get some feedback. So. Oh, there we go. Fantastic. So, absolutely, we're not going to get some of these jobs back. But you know, it's a, it's a global economy. That's the way things are working. 
But what we can do is entice uh, manufacturers to come back to America and build their next manufacturing plant in America. And we can do we can do that by eliminating, in my opinion, income tax and having educated workers and having a, a stronger and better government, which is going to remove regulations. The female call writing and catch her name since she was in the process of starting, starting a small business and has all these huge regulations against her, which make it difficult for her to operate. I know I'm a small business owner myself. It's exceptionally difficult to operate. We could be, you know, destroying the next Ford. We could be destroying the next Microsoft, the next Apple today in this country due to regulations. Now, I'm not saying, hey, let's remove all regulations. That doesn't make sense. But what we can do is we can make it more business-friendly. We can make it a more common-sense approach. Look at what Governor Gary Johnson did in the state of New Mexico, who did run as Republican but had very libertarian beliefs. He reduced regulations on a day-in and day-out basis in the state of New Mexico. He didn't remove them. He made them more common-sense and just easier to do business. He led the nation in job growth at 11.6%. Companies want to operate in America. It's such a misconception that they don't want to operate here. Absolutely they do. It's better perceptions. But instead of trying to recruit these people, you know, that may not come back, why not give these entrepreneurs a chance to be free, to operate in a business-friendly environment, and maybe create create the next, you know, Facebook, which obviously was created here, or Microsoft, or the next big company. And that's where I think the Democrats and Republicans have failed us. They're, you know, they're tied into their corporate interests. We spent $2.5 billion on this last presidential election to elect one man. That money is spent with a return on investment expected from the investors. If you donate $2 million to uh, Obama or Romney, regardless, you expect some type of return on your money. It's just common, yeah. common knowledge. We need to get okay. money out of politics, and we're not going to do that by having a two-party system. We have to have a third party to start breaking down these legacy two parties in order to return prosperity back to America. Okay, okay. Uh, I want to get to Jr. because I know you got some. I know you got some stuff to say. Uh, but uh, before we six six four, you have something to say three one seven six six four or um, you just yes, I do. Oh, okay, go ahead. Um, I was really listening to um, all of the comments that were being made about the jobs and everything, and it and it is true, you know, that we have lost a lot of jobs during this process. But I think that we have to focus on the process that we need to actually take to actually gain these jobs back because instead of us focusing on all the jobs that are gone, we need to focus on what it is that we need to do to gain them. And I think that with President Obama being in office right now, he has recovered a lot of jobs that I truly believe that he's not getting enough credit for. Um, I, I feel that Obama, that President Obama has done the best with what he's been given to him. But a lot of the economists actually say that those jobs that were being brought back would have happened regardless of who was in office. It was just kind of, you know, it's a natural uh, tide, you know, valleys and hills of the economic uh, system. The government does not create jobs. That's a huge misconception. The only thing the government does is really stand in the way of job creation. If he really wanted to benefit this country, he'd start removing regulations. He would start making this country more business-friendly. While things have improved, I don't know if I can agree with the fact it would have improved any worse or better if John McCain had been in office. Well, wouldn't you say that some well, removing well, some regulations do. would uh, would be bad because uh, you know businesses are self-interested 
and some of these regulations prevent the businesses from involving themselves in tactics or practices that are harmful to the environment, harmful to the people living in their community. Additionally, what about uh, this? Back to taxes. I don't understand the libertarians still don't understand this consumption tax or flat rate tax because if you have a flat rate tax of say, let's just throw a number out of 10%, then you've got the fat cats paying only 10%, and poor people who are making like ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year paying ten percent, there's still a disproportionate amount well, the, of taxes the, the being flat paid. Tax is, the flat tax is not a libertarian uh, belief at all. So I won't attempt to defend that because I don't believe in that. So we're and gonna, what we'll about talk the about tax? We'll, we'll, well, we'll jump to consumption tax. We'll address your regulation thing. Once again, I did not state I want to remove all regulations. People always want to go to the worst case situation. What we want to do is look at what's actually worked. Look at what Governor uh, Johnson did in New Mexico, which was make regulation more common sense. And that jumped job growth in that, in that state to 11.6%. We can make regulations more business friendly, but still protect what needs to be protected in that process. When you have major corporations purchasing elections, which is basically what they're doing, you're going to have custom-made regulations, lobbyists, that are going to create rules and regulations solely to benefit their benefit that company. There is an issue there. As far as um, the, as far as removing income tax, the consumption tax is a fair tax. Which the reason I like the reason I like fair tax versus a consumption tax, which fair tax is consumption, but it's also it's also going to give everyone up to the poverty level a prebate check, which is going to uh, give everyone back X amount of dollars to cover their taxes they spend on the increase in sales tax. So to explain the fair tax, basically we'd remove all taxes from this nation except the 23% consumption tax. So if you want to buy a TV for $100, it would be $123 because you've had to pay for that. Uh, sales tax. We'd give everyone up to the poverty level a prebate check so no one's taxed up to the poverty level. And the price of the goods would actually fall because you're not going to have payroll taxes and all these hidden taxes built into your uh, product. I'm looking at pricing right now for Obamacare with my businesses. I'm increasing an uh, increase of my product from 50 to 75 cents due to Obamacare alone for a sandwich, which, you know, you can agree or disagree with, that's fine, but taxes are always passed along to the consumer. So the consumption tax is going to lower these prices and give the individual consumer more buying power. And I just feel it's a more fair system. It eliminates all these corporate interests that are buying regulations, that are buying tax codes for themselves, I mean, you look at um, GE had zero dollars in tax liability in 2010. Bank of America had zero dollars in tax liability in 2010. BP, I think, 2011 was pretty close to zero dollars. Um, it was, you know, for companies making seven billion dollars. The consumption tax doesn't force these companies to start paying taxes because they have to consume in this country, and that's really where the benefit of society is. Where these taxes, if they're buying a ten million dollar beach house, they're paying 2.3 million dollars in taxes. That's where you're going to start making some money. Okay, uh, let me jump in. I got a moderate. KR, go ahead. I know you got some stuff to say, so go ahead and jump in. I'm, I'm going to leave. So go, go ahead. I think you got some stuff to say. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We're going to begin. There, there's plenty of different aspects to this whole thing that uh, we're begin. I, I found myself agreeing with a lot of what they're saying. Now, than that is on the military. I'm going to play some of these lines on for you, uh, so something 
give us some feedback. So if you're online, hold on, and um, I'll get back with you in a bit. Can, can you hear me now? Yeah. All right. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, like, walking around the dock right now. So, anyway, here, here's what's going on. They, uh, with the military, we need to do just like you do. Okay? And that is go on ahead and so much regulate, but shrink it. Okay? There's a difference between the two. Because by, by shrinking, the, same with the same day, shrinking the budgets. I fully agree that we don't need to be spending all this ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, these are crazy, crazy amounts that, like, Dr. Evil would end up being saying in an Austin Powers movie. But, <laughs> you know, one gajillion dollars, you know, but here's the thing. It's not so much about shrinking the military as it is a spending less, holding them accountable, okay? Same with our government, because they do. They, they go out, and they'll spend $70 on a toilet seat or $150 on a screwdriver. The reason that's done is to be able to justify asking mother government for even more money the next fiscal uh, the next fiscal quarter, you know? And they, the federal government ends up getting their money through us. So they cannot sit there and justify asking us a raise in taxes unless they say, hey, look, we're spending this much. Well, the reason you're spending that much is because you're spending $10 million every month to find out how, much, how the mating habits of the sperm whale go. That's something I'm personally not interested in. You see what I'm saying? These are ridiculous programs. We need to have a total audit of all our programs and our federal government and just go on ahead and picture a corporation that brings in the consultants. And they go asking people left and right, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What's your everyday thing? How do you justify making this? You know, that's what we need in our government. We need to have people come in. I completely agree, but once again, can we expect the Democrats and Republicans to do that. Of course not. They've created this mess. If they did an audit and, said, and actually came out on the type of mess they've created, they know they would all be kicked out of office tomorrow. So what do we do every election cycle? We continue to put in the same people again and again. It might be a different name, but it's the same exact person. And at one point, we have to realize doing the same thing over and over again is the definition of insanity. We've done this for 150 years, and what has it led to? It's led to a loss of jobs. It's led to some of the worst economic failures we've ever seen in this country. It's led to $16 trillion in debt. Now, we've seen some great success there, but I think it's uh, not because of the government necessarily. But I completely agree. Oh. We, need a, we need a bottom-to-top, top-to-bottom audit of our government, but we'll never get it with the people we have in place right now. That, and that's absolutely correct. I mean, uh, me, myself, I'm an independent, you know, I, I I got zero power, party loyalty any way it goes, you know. But what I do do, I, I go on and I research the candidates that are going and find out, okay, well, this guy voted for this, this guy voted for this, this guy voted against this, you know. And that's how I learn who I'm going to vote for. But unfortunately, 
nowadays, Jay, we live in a time when we have zero accountability. You never know what the candidates of the twin parties, as I like to refer to them, are running on. Well, what you do know is what their opponents ran against. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. They, they will never tell you, hey, look, I'm going to vote on a half-cent tax per person in the United States on Social Security, you know, to go to my presidential library, you know. They'll never tell you that, but what they will tell you, hey, look, my opponent voted against a bill that would fund uh, special needs children hospital. And it may not have been that he voted against that part of the bill. It might have been a different part Correct. of the bill that would end up making habits of the sperm whale. You know? Yeah. You're absolutely I mean, right. And we can all agree the government's corrupt. We all know it. We know it in our heart of hearts. We see it every single day. And what absolutely. the point I try to get across to people is, is we have to do something different. I'm not saying I'm the Messiah. I'm not saying I'm, you know, I have all the answers. I can fix the country tomorrow. What well, I am saying, it, it, well, I like to think I do. <laughs> but what I do tell people is to vote third party. Look, you know, if you if you don't like all my beliefs, look at the Green Party. Look at the Socialist Party, which I, I hope not, but it is what it is. Uh, look at the Justice Party. Look at all these third parties and start voting third party. Maybe we're not going to win this next election cycle. Maybe we're not going to win the next time. But what we can do is start forcing the two legacy parties, the twin parties as you call them, back to their roots of, you know, the Democrats being socially progressive. God knows they aren't now. Get the Republicans back to fiscally responsible. They they spend more money than a drunken sailor with a tax check. And even worse than that, because they, they keep to take away Social Security. So how is... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, 664. Well, a lot of things, you know, have been said about the Democratic Party. And so since we want to do a lot of bashing, my thing is, is that we... A lot of the Republicans, and I'm just going to say it, you know, really don't have the best interests at heart. And one of the main issues that stands is, you know, they were really trying to get rid of Social Security. Now, how would that benefit anybody? How would it? So so that means that, you know, if you are a Republican, then you're taking away from your own party, too. So how would that benefit? I, I disagree that they're going to attack Social Security. The reason being is the fact that if you look at the voting base of the of Republican Party, they're all close to dead. So right now, if you remove that from your voting base, they're going to revolt against you. The Republican Party is not going to touch Social Security anytime soon. I think that they use that a lot on talk radio shows to kind of keep the younger base in, in check. Um, well, you know, I, I agree with the principles of Social Security. I disagree with what it's become. I think it's once again become too big to too many people. Um, and I think there's a better way to do it. I think that's a conversation we need to have. But both parties are terrified to have a conversation about reform of it because they're afraid of losing their vote. And that's what we need to have is a conversation. I'm not saying to remove it. I'm not saying to you know go in any direction with it. So let's have a conversation. Can it be better? Absolutely. That's also a pyramid scheme. We're about two and a half employees are funding every uh, retiree right now, and that's down from four and a half or five people. It's unsustainable right now. We need to fix it. We need to find a solution there, and we need to have that conversation. The two parties are not going to have that conversation. Well, uh, a couple more questions, and we need to wrap this segment up. Because, and I really want you to come back on the show. We want to do a part two of this because this has been a very popular show. 
Um, it's just been a really good. Like, a lot of people have called in, like seriously. Um, it's just we're just listening. Um, but because I know we have a couple more things we need to get to. But uh, here's the question I have: What direction do you see the Libertarian Party heading um, in the future, like in the next five or ten years? And also, what have what what have you implemented, or how have you guys tried to reach out to women? Um, people of color. Um, I mean, how have you tried to engage a variety of people who are part? Um, because it, it's one thing that the place that uh, you know you guys want to come up. But what are you guys doing to be inclusive, and what kind of things do you offer? You know, do you offer like? Uh, uh, and I'm not sure if you have the ability to mute other people because I'm getting a lot of feedback from someone's radio. Okay, I'm about to I'm about to put the lines on mute. Hold on, I'm gonna put some of the lines on mute. I'm gonna get back to you guys in a second. So I'm gonna put uh, Michael's line and mine's and uh, and um, Brad's line for a quick second, guys. So um, I'll be back with you guys in a second. Okay, is that better? Yeah, that's a lot better. So. If I if I heard your question, basically it's what the future of the Libertarian Party is, and what are we doing to get out to to minorities, people of color, and basically you know the non-white property owning male. Um, and those are great questions. <clears throat> I think you're seeing people come on board with the Libertarian Party. We're the only party to increase membership over the last election. We now have more members than we did the last election, unlike the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, granted, it's not as many people as the other two parties, but we had 1.2 million people vote for Gary Johnson. You know, that's over 1% of the population, which is the largest amount we've ever had. So people are starting to come on board with our, you know, philosophies and principles. The future of the party really lies on uh, people's shoulders like mine, which is going to take the bull by the horns and say, listen, we've got to be organized. We have to be effective. Libertarians inherently are like trying to hurt cats. We don't like people telling us what to do. Well, sometimes we have to sacrifice a little bit in order to be effective. So I think over the next, um, you know, the next election, 2014, you're going to see libertarians continue to take larger uh, sections of the vote. Maybe we did 7% this year. Maybe next year in a state rep race we'll do 9 or 10%. This is a branding thing. National is going to work on branding. It's going to help us with our market, uh, marketing in order to get the message out to such as minorities, uh, the gay community. Um, another community I'm very focused on right now is like the Muslim community. Look at what, what, what an American Muslim currently goes to in this country to try to get on an airplane. That's absurd. Look at what a, you know, a black individual does when they're driving through a white neighborhood, what type of police presence they get. I've seen it before. I, I drive cars that are completely blacked out, tinted out, and I've been pulled over before. And you can see the look of relief on the cop's eyes because he goes, oh, you're white. That's inherently <laughs> wrong. It's horrible. It's sickening to me. So what I'm trying to do is I'm finding um, people who support my uh, principles. And I found a fantastic gentleman in Cincinnati by the name of Bernard, very brilliant young black guy, loves the libertarian message. And I'm going to find people like him that can go to his community and say, listen, bring your message to these people. Tell them how we're going to benefit your community. You know, if I come in there as a generic white guy, let's be honest with you, you're not going to listen to me as much. But, you know, if I go to my group of generic white people, they're going to listen to me a little bit better. Same thing with the gay community. You know, you need to have a spokesperson with people that you connect with, that you understand, so you can ask a question, knowing that they've had the same experience as you. And I think that's um, critical. Here's that another we... question that I have, um, sure. and I know that um, I've heard it 
it hasn't been discussed by many uh, platform many platforms. But what what is your stance on re, uh, uh, criminal reentry? Like people that have paid their dues to society and That's that are question. out here. Um, how, how do you? How can you? How can we? And, and how? What, what's your party stance on that? On on getting people um, back into so society after they paid their debt to society. Sure. How, what's, what's let's take that as a as a broader topic, Seneca. Let's look okay. at the second most failed policy in this nation, the second most destructive policy we've ever had against the African American community. And what policy is that? The war on drugs. Second only to slavery, which is the most horrible thing we've ever done in this country. If we look at the war on drugs, we, we effectively have taken slavery and made it slavery 2.0. You have, you know, thousands upon thousands of of the innocent civilians who might have a little bit more water. And what happens? They they get a fine slapped on or they get a misdemeanor, or worst case a felony. Even worst case they go to jail. I'm a small business owner and I you know, when they come out and they have a felony charge on them, why would I why would I hire someone with that type of liability? You know? And that's just from a cold hearted business owner's viewpoint. So what we need to do is reduce the amount of people that have these charges against them. We have spent over $1.5 trillion on this war on drugs, which has failed. Marijuana is easy for us to get. Anyone in society can go find marijuana. Ask a teenager what's more difficult for them to get, marijuana or alcohol. They're going to tell you hands down every single time, it's easier for me to get marijuana. Because it's not regulated. There, there's no, it's illegal, quote, unquote. So what you do is you take this young kid and you, you know, use a marijuana casually, and you know maybe he sees his friend who's a dealer, and his dealer goes to jail. So he goes, well, I can make a little bit of money doing this. So what, is, what does he naturally do? Start dealing drugs. And it's a, a system where it's just, okay, we cut one person off, someone rises to take their place. So then you take that kid, you put him in jail. And you have all these kids that really were not criminals. The only thing they want to do is make a little bit of money and have a non, that are doing a nonviolent activity. There's no, there's no victim in this situation. Okay, put them in, in okay let me ask you this. Um, what do you I mean? In, from your point of view, what do you feel? I mean, do you feel that when when we look at the system and how, like, a lot of young people, like, like you can, like, I was just discussing this with one of my friends, which I, I'm gonna let you guys know. And just, I'm gonna put a little little uh, promotion thing in here, um, guys. Be on the lookout for my new video series that I'm doing with a friend called Race, Religion, and Reality. Kane, you know what I'm talking about. We discussed that, which he's been done a wonderful job with creating um, the graphics for the show. But um, my friend James McCleary, we were talking about this today. Uh, isn't there a uh, a double? Well, I'm gonna say a double thing, but isn't it kind of strange that an inner city kid will get more time jail time versus someone from the suburbs that sells drugs that might get probation or slap a slap on the hand? And then on top of that. We we need to kind of look at the system when it deals with drugs because I think that these people that are, especially that are hooked on drugs, we make them into criminals because You're really they're creating crimes against themselves versus other people. Which a correct. person that has a small amount of drugs in them can get more time in prison versus someone that's a convicted child molester or someone that is yeah. a criminal. So what do you feel, how can we begin to change that system? Like, because when you look at it, you know, when you look at how things are in the system, like, that's probably why, you know, 
we have the equity that we currently have. Seneca, so what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, this is Kane. Um, Seneca, ahead. I, I think as far as, um, let's say, for example, using your example, let's say we've got a 16-year-old child from the inner city and a 16-year-old child from the suburbs. Um, statistically, probably that child from the, the inner city is going to be from demographically a, a poor uh, background, less money, whether no matter what their race is, than the person from the suburb. So you got you've got one family that can afford legal representation, another family Absolutely. that cannot afford legal representation. So they have to they have to rely on public representation or you know a public defender who is going to be overloaded with caseload after caseload after Public caseload. And, and of course there is also the race card. So whether whether you know it could be a Hispanic child, could be an African American child, could be an Asian child, whatever, you know, and a suburban child, um uh, you know whatever. But you know, there is the race card also. But it's it's an economic I issue. think it's more like you said classism. It definitely race but I think it's more class because Money talks, you know, and if you have the yeah. resource, you got uh, it. Yeah, you know, and I really think it's more that. I'm not saying those other elements do not take place, but I oh, think. Oh, definitely race you, has something to do with it. But, oh, yeah, yeah also. Sure, I'm not denying that. But I think a lot of times they're living in a, a society where money is the root of every. You know, I mean? what, what you want, like if, if you know, you got to have that money. So, you know, I think that's, that's the big thing about that. So. And, and I believe the gentleman's name was Kane. Was that correct? Yes. Uh, he, you're completely correct. It's really, in my opinion, I mean, race is a factor here. Let's not lie to anybody. But it's really econ- economics. Because, exactly. for example, I have the ability to afford a, a fantastic lawyer. In fact, I can afford multiple lawyers. Does that give me a right to commit more crimes or, or to have you know less punishment? No, but that's a system. Um, so you have these kids that don't have access to lawyers, and they're just getting some public defender who's overloaded, like you stated, and you just have someone, you know, you have a judicial system that's overloaded. It's really absurd drug, drug cases. These are not crimes. These do not even be punished. Let's solve the root of the problem here. You'll never take care of the money issue. You'll never give these kids the representation they actually need. You know, it's going to be very difficult to give them the resources they need to get through that court case. But what we can do is keep them out of court. Let's eliminate the war on drugs. Treat it as a health issue, not as a criminal issue, which is what it is. In fact, I, I don't even feel marijuana is even a health issue. Now, cocaine, things like that, that's a health issue. These aren't criminal activities. These are crimes against yourself at most, but it's your body. Let's eliminate the war on drugs, and let's do what Portugal did, which is decriminalize all drugs. I'd like to this take it one, one step further. Go ahead. I was just going to say, this is one thing that I do strongly agree with the Libertarian Party on, um, <laughs> is consensual crimes. Consensual yeah. crimes are, that's that's legislating morality, and uh, that's definitely something that I do agree with the Libertarian Party yeah. on. Um, and and once again, this Consensual is crimes back such as the dr- war on drugs, that, that goes beyond American borders. Just look at what's going on in Juarez, Mexico. It's Let's look at what else is going on elsewhere. Um, you know, uh, you got the, you know, farmers in Afghanistan that have no recourse but to grow heroin poppies. No options. So it's really a crime against humanity, and I and I say that, and people kind of laugh at me. But turn on the news. How many times do you see 
you know, 12 Mexican citizens beheaded and burnt in the streets. It's almost a daily oh, yeah. thing now. It's sickening oh, yeah. the crimes against humanity our war on drugs are committing. Not to mention what it's just doing, if you're, you know, a nationalist, what it's doing to American citizens. Look what it's done to the African-American community. Look at what it's done to really just the youth in this country. It's been devastating. It needs to be ended. The Democrats are not going to be ending it anytime soon. God knows the Republicans won't. And that's, once again, where I still having a third party. And the Green Party does agree with us on ending the war on drugs. And, you know, and start supporting these third parties. Even if we don't win, we can start causing these conversations to happen. We can have a national stage to bring our viewpoints to the people. Legalization of marijuana is happening in this country. It's the same thing happened with prohibition. It's uh, with alcohol in the 20s. New York came and said, hey, we're not going to enforce these absurd federal laws. It's, it's destructive. Right. We've seen well, that now in Colorado, Washington. These states are going to fall like dominoes to see legalization, and we're going to prove, just like I feel with marriage equality, the libertarians have been right on this since the 70s. We, you know, yeah. It's been a destructive <clears throat> policy. That's something I don't understand that uh, the people that advocate the war on drugs don't see, you know, the, the you know, uh, criminalizing marijuana, for example, has led to the creation of something like bath salts, which and we've right. seen how wacky that is. Um, methamphetamine, which is the most destructive drug there is. Uh, yeah. It's so destructive in so many ways, not just to the people that use it, but the people live next to the people making it. Correct. And and you know these designer drugs, you know, if we, they're good. They're in existence because we've got we made cocaine and and marijuana illegal. And, um, marijuana funds seventy percent of the drug operations in Mexico. All drug cartels derive approximately seventy percent of their funding through marijuana. What happens with any Forbes company? And these this is what they are. They are Forbes top five hundred companies in my opinion of the drug war of the drug world. When you take away 70% of the revenue, they're going to collapse tomorrow. Walmart couldn't exist tomorrow if you took away 70% of the revenue. They're just too big. They're going to collapse, and you're going to collapse these drug cartels overnight with the legalization of marijuana. And just like Kane said, you're going to end these designer drugs where they're going to in order to try to you know maximize profits. Okay, guys. I need to move on to next, and this kind of links in what we've been talking to, but I have a couple more stories, and you guys can jump in if you guys have any comments. Um, we're going to talk about a couple stories that I wanted to get to, and if not, we're going to um, do another broadcast. But, Brad, um, would you be willing to come in on another date and continue this conversation? Because I believe that this has been very enlightening. Yeah, that, that's fine, Seneca. We'll uh, work out our schedule all fair, and uh, we'll try to get you know a night that's agreeable to both of us. Yeah, because this very good show, I, I, I feel. You know, it's been very educational to me. But um, the story that I want to get to next is um, I'm reading this from the Huffington Post. And um, the story is written, I had to get the author's name really quick if I can find it. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't see the author's name. Okay, by Jake Jordan. And this is coming from the Huffington Post. I guess there's been another shooting or killing down there of a black teen, and I guess um, the, the the title is in uh, the 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 uh, article is entitled Jordan Davis, teen shot shot over loud music compared to Trayvon Martin. 
and I'm just going to read part of it so we can get the gist of it and have a conversation. Um, the sexual shooting of a Florida teenager who was listening to loud music in the car a week ago has drawn compared to Craven Mark's uh, case, but the differences are significant. Unlike the Trayvon Martin case, several people witnessed the shooting, and there was no scuffle before the 17-year-old Jordan Davis got to death. And notably, the man accused of firing in the car was arrested a day later. Michael David Dunn's charge... We'll, we'll unmute the lines when um, I get done. I, I need to read this so I don't get any feedback. Okay, here we go. Um, Michael David Dunn is charged with the murder and attempted murder in November in the November 23rd shooting at Jacksonville, Florida gas station. The 45-year-old Dunn parked beside the sport utility vehicle occupied by Davis and three other young men and told them to turn the music down police said. Dunn exchanged words with Davis, who was in the back seat, and started firing. He later told the police he felt threatened. His attorney has said Dunn saw a gun and shot in self-defense, perhaps laying the groundwork for the case under Florida's stand-your-ground law. See, here we go with that stand-your-ground law. Since the shooting, Davis's family has received an outpouring of support from the community. A, quote, Justice for Jordan, unquote, Facebook page has been set up and classmates have gathered a memorial service with T-shirts showing Davis's smiling face. Fire trucks saluting him by spraying water over the airplane carrying his body to Atlanta while it was on the runway. The teen's mother lives near Marietta and the funeral is scheduled for Davis's Saturday in Trinity Chapel Church of God in Powder Springs. Davis's father, Ron, said that, says his son was the typical high school junior who was getting ready to start his first job at McDonald's, looking forward to buy his first car and turning 18 the next year. He had a million-dollar smile and liked listening to mostly rap, but also sound, the sounds of his dad's generation, including James Brown and The Temptations. Standing over his son's casket, Ron Davis promised to fight laws that allow people to carry guns outside of their homes. Quote, law enforcement should be the only ones who should have the should have guns on the street, unquote, he said. Quote, that's what's killing our kids in more than anything, unquote. Police said that they did, did not find a weapon in the SUV with the young men, and Ron Davis has said, that he doesn't believe Dunn's claim that he saw a gun. He thinks Dunn is searching for an explanation. Quote, they were just 17-year-old kids that were having a good time coming from the mall, he said. So um, we have to talk, people. And I'm just going to, you know, we really have to really start looking at these issues, you know, and – this, this is a senseless death. This is somebody's child that has not be, even began to live life. You know, and we really need to start questioning 
guns and gun control and, and, and these issues. You know, we need to have a really honest dialogue about this. And, you know, I don't know if anybody has anything to say about this story, but it really bothers me. And, and, and the story hasn't really caught on yet. Um, I don't think. Um, I just heard about the story myself. And it's really troubling that this same incident is happening, well, a similar incident has happened down in Florida again. So, uh, Paula664, do you have something to say about this comment? We're going to go through these real quick. If we go over, um, we can still record this, but I just wanted to get your comment because we're going to do another part of the show later on this week. I had a couple more stories I wanted to do. Uh, yes, I do. Um, first of all, you know, it is very unfortunate that something like this has happened, but I think over the years, you know, the excuse um, has always been that an individual feels threatened, especially when they are um, in the presence of an African-American person, period. Um, and I also believe that a lot of times, you know, when we look at the Second Amendment when it comes to the right to bear arms, people go buck wild and they feel as if, you know, they, they have a right to go ahead and defend themselves amongst African-American people. And I just don't understand. And, the, and another issue that I have is that it, it has actually extended from slavery. It has come all the way down, you know, from where African-Americans have been mistreated just because of the color of their skin. So because this individual was around African-American people or in the presence of African-American kids, he wants to say that he felt threatened. And the unfortunate part is, is, that, the, is that the child didn't even have a gun. So I don't even understand how this individual feels threatened. That is the issue that I'm having. So let me ask you this. Do you think that when, when we see these, the images and, and we hear about you know, African-American and youth and media, do you think that that kind of already has people on edge or do people have like a preconcept, I mean, well, preset uh, notion that they're going to be harmed, you know, uh, you know, especially if the kids were just being kids themselves, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, do you think that the media and the images that we have seen in, uh, and lack of positive images that we have seen in the media, do you think that has has contributed to um, these deaths, especially with the Clayton Martin case and this case here and other cases that we hear that are similar to these? Absolutely, yes. You know, um, I think what happens is is that, um, a stereotype will set in, and, you know, they will say that because one um, African-American person has done this some years ago, then they want to bring this stereotype down throughout the years and say that all African-American uh, children or teens or adults are like this. And especially the media, you know, they, they will throw out so many misconceptions about African-American people to where, um, it will cause people to actually be afraid, but I think that the media, you know, really does have a lot to do that because they will throw in facts that are so untrue. Um, but I really, but I really believe, you know, when it all boils down, it has a lot to do with the stereotypes uh, that has been set amongst African American people for absolutely no reason. Does anybody else have a comment? Um, they want to jump in on that? Yeah, I'll um, just jump in. 
Okay, go ahead, Jr. All right. Yeah. Now it's an unfortunate thing, you know, what happened. It, it's ignorant to say racial stereotyping don't happen. You know, as a Hispanic myself, I, I know it greatly. You know, and, but here's the thing: it, it ain't the media's fault for the stereotypes. They they're throwing out the stereotype, yes, but. Us as an individuals, as individuals, have got the choice to accept that stereotype or think as our own. So, you know, the fear of any minority, whether it's uh, a, whether you're in a Hispanic neighborhood or whether you're in an American neighborhood or whether you're in a white neighborhood or an Arab neighborhood, you know, all comes from within. You may have been posed by media or social settings or what so. But, you know, again, it's our own choice whether to be afraid or not. There was a time when, you know, say, the Italian mob, people were afraid of them. Now there's no mob, you know. There was a time when the Colombians were the bad guys. You know, did you ever meet a Colombian you was afraid of? I haven't. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, so, I, and I'm not saying that because I'm a really bad, bad tail or whatever. I'm saying that because I accept people for who they are. You know? I give the respect that's given to me. And that's what it comes down to. You know? When, when people to accept the stereotype. They're no better than that stereotype. But do you think that I mean, people sometimes, because, I mean, when we look at the media, like, the media is two-edged sword. We get a lot of our information, um, like the dissemination of information. Um, we have we get a lot of um, things that we don't, you know, we get our information as far as weather. We get our information what's going on in local politics, government national politics, you know, international news or whatever. And it's kinda of hard for you to differentiate the the fact versus fiction sometimes. And then on top of that, if you are you know, if you haven't been exposed to a lot of minorities or you haven't been exposed to like if you're not really a cultured person and you're only you know, I don't know, you, you see this this news segment on something negative that one African American done or one minority done, you you probably take that and run with it and think that most of them are like that. Do you think that that's probably the issue sometimes where people um, they have lack of education and lack of experience in, of dealing with other types of people when they see this stuff in the media and they run with it? Do you think that's a problem? See, that that's, that's where I'm going with it. Lack of education. You know, lack of experience. You know, there was a time when uh, I was the only it is. Let's call it ignorance. What's that? Say, Michael? I said, call it is what it is. Call it ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly right. You know, there was a time when I was the only minority in the town I lived in. You know, in the entire county, I was the only Hispanic. You know, there was it was an all German county back then. But oh, you know wow. what happened? People change. You know. Did it make me stronger throughout my experiences in life? Of course it did. You know, 
but it's all how I chose to deal with it. I could have very easily gone the drug dealer route. I could have very easily gone, you know, the, the it, it's all racial route. I could have very easily done any of that. But you know what? I, I you know, tightened up my belt. I took a few licks, and here I am today. Now nobody can shut me up. <laughs> but you know, it's it's a mix of a bunch of things. It isn't just you know the media. The media isn't like news organizations reporting only on minority crimes and this and that. No, it's also you know a mix of our TV shows. You know, reality TV, cops. Just the reason the, the all the drugs they find are you know. What would be claimed as white trash, and there's a reason that all the drug dealers that they would find are minorities. And, and, and let me just jump. And let me jump in here real quick, because you just brought up something really, really good. Because these reality shows, let me tell y'all something. Let me tell y'all something. You know, me. This, this is my point. Where I'm gonna start preaching. Let me tell y'all something. These reality shows are not healthy at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me let me speak for a minute. Now, and we're going we gonna to wrap things up. But my thing is, these reality shows are not helpful. Like, for example, when you see these, these people fighting, like, you know, you know, don't get me wrong, I like watching some of these shows, but you see, like, Bad Girls Club, you see Real Housewives of Atlanta, or you see Basketball Wives, a.k.a. Basketball Hoes. Or yeah, you see uh-huh. Miss Honey Boo Boo Child getting on um, screen, exploiting herself in her community and her family and exploiting herself, and the parents just think that that is the most cutest thing in the world. We have to start looking at these things because, you know, sure, everybody complains about these reality shows being, you know, ex- you know, they exploit the communities that, you know, that they represent. But to me, like, <clears throat> as long as we keep supporting these shows and we keep watching them, it's going to continue. And then these, the stereotypes that these shows have, like you see basketball wise, it just portrays African-American women as all as loud, you know, gold-digging friends that that are ghetto and, and, and ready to fight at a, at a drop of a hat. Well, on the me, flip side, Seneca, there, there is another reality show like Survivor, which has portrayed some African-Americans that were very respectable and won, like Earl on or Vesepia. They won a million bucks. They are African American men and women. That, or Sandra, who was a uh, Puerto Rican woman, who won Survivor. The, the the there are at least a couple reality shows that are depicting minorities, American minorities, in a very respectable light. Yeah, but see that. That's one. Speaking of Survivor, Hispanic. So, I'm, not, I'm comparing apples to oranges here. But, you know, it's like over here at Park. They've got a random drawing. They say it's a random drawing for a choice parking spot every single week, okay? This has been going on for two years. There have been people that have gotten a parking spot four and five times, okay? I have got a one in 35 chance on getting that spot. I am the only person to have never gotten it. 
I don't think my name's up, to be honest with you. You know? But, you know, here's the thing. I never made any excuses. I'm a self-made man just like my dad was. Exactly. That's how I am. Yeah, exactly. You know, no excuses. I've never had anything handed down to me, nor do I expect anything ever handed down to kids. You know, Mm. I brought my kids up to be like, you deal with it on your own. Be a man. Now, you know, with, with these reality shows and all these things, drama is what gets ratings, and ratings is what brings money. People, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> yeah, people, look, look, look at that, that, Mary, uh, that, that uh, John and Kate Plus A. They exploited their kids for 13 seasons, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, the, the last season, they were the highest-paid reality show per episode in history before the divorce happened. You know, they were making over $8 million an episode. The cast of Friends was making $6.5 per episode at their peak. But see, once again, people, like, they, they give us a, you know, a uh, an idea. This media, whether it's TV or radio or you know or dang uh, uh, papers, they give us an idea of what beauty is supposed to be. People magazine has got hundred be- most beautiful people issue, in which out of the top hundred, ten may be minority. You can, see what I'm saying? Hey, let me jump in here real can quick. Can I get back oh, to oh, that thought, um, Jr. Uh, Brad, do you have anything else? Because I know you're probably busy, and I just wanted you to see if you had anything else to say. But we we gonna probably continue this conversation because um, I mean, I'm, if you still want to call in, call in at six four six nine one five eighty two hundred. We're about to go off air, but we're gonna continue talking because it's gonna continue recording, but it just won't be on air. Um, but it will be. Uh, I will put the, the rest of this online. And right. um, we got six five seven back on, so thank you for that. Um, Brad, do you have anything else that you want to really say, or are you just listening at this point? Um, oh, we want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, my, my last follow up, and I'd be glad to have this continue this conversation uh, in another show. I think it's very productive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just encourage people to look at third parties to stop supporting the two party system. Even though elections over today, you know politics doesn't end in this country. Find a third-party voice that represents you or the closest to your, your views as possible and support them. Vote for their candidates. Stop supporting the legacy two parties and start forcing change in this country. Um, be active. Here, here. Be involved. Let's go for I, I think, Parliament. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not against that, actually. Uh, you know, things like people call uh, things like people calling this radio show is an absolutely fantastic thing. I think you're doing a great job, Seneca, just to have a different perspective and voice out there. So I will sign off. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I look forward to talking to everyone again in the near future. All right, thank you. Take care. Have a nice All day. Right. Or a nice we're going to continue this dialogue. Um, we're just, just going to not be streaming, but it's still going to be recording, and we will put it up on a, at a different time. So, um, Seneca, I've got I've got something I want to um, throw out there. Okay, go ahead. As, as far as um, um, this uh, shooting and the stand your ground and and how people view race through
through the lens of the media. Um, I want to ask uh, some of the other people that are on the line here what what you think people that are contributing to the media, how they are affecting this. Um, let's say, for example, you've got uh, gangster rappers, you know, creating their art form and uh, releasing their, their music and whatnot. Um, obviously, their their art form is influenced by their experiences in their life, their culture, and whatnot, and they they put those experiences into the art that they're creating and then throw that out there. And then that gets interpreted by the public, and different people interpret that differently. Um, okay. How how do you think that is maybe affecting, for example, in this situation when this young man was murdered by another another man um, through either way, maybe, for, as he says, he feels he was threatened because they were listening to loud music, whatever that loud music was, whether it was The Temptations or Lil Wayne or whatever. Um, um, do our... Performers, people creating this art, should they do they have any responsibilities to try and maybe moderate how they are uh, sending their messages out? I mean, okay, I have a couple things to say on that. Then, like you said, I want everybody else to comment. But here's my thing: parents need to start being parents. Stop letting the feed. Stop letting the TV be your child's role model. Stop letting the TV babysit your child and mentor your child. If you can't differentiate differentiate the difference between entertainment and reality, then there's something wrong with you. Because one thing about it is a lot of these people, they are not even living that lifestyle, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get that straight. Most of these rappers that are singing all about this stuff, they ain't living that lifestyle. Now, some of them are now. But let me tell right. you. Right, some of them are. Like, you know, like I see. Yeah, and, and the thing about it, yes, they do need to take responsibility of that somewhat, but then again, it has to go back to the parents. The parents are the ones that should be the role models. Am I right? Absolutely. Oh, I, I agree that the parents do need to, you know, teach their children the difference between fact and and fiction. Um, and um, we all they also have to... If they see their ch- their child admiring or uh, uh, idolizing a certain performer, find out is this performer someone who's who's real or is this someone that's just pretending? Um, and, and my thing um, you know, is, some of these like, some of these performers they have actually real stuff to talk about, and and they're talking about from their real life, and and you know they have. You know, maybe they have a real message there, and they're actually saying something different than what the child is perceiving, and that child needs help understanding what the the performer is is actually saying. Yeah, and, and here's what I'll say too: Why is it always put on the rap community? Why isn't it? Why, when we talk about people need to clean up, clean up their image, why why is it like the actors and actresses they can put out any form of 
any whatever out here, and they're not held accountable. But when it comes to the rappers or the hip hop community, they are always seen in with with it. You see what I'm saying? Like I, just, I don't. Well, well, there's definitely there's definitely other performers. Uh, let's take music uh, since we're talking about rap, or you're you're mentioning rap. Let's talk about other musicians. Um, you've got. You know, rock and roll, rock and roll stars who sing about and glamorize heroin and whatever. You know, they, you know, there's. I don't know. The Rolling Stones have sung some songs about heroin. You know, and you know, look at that song. Have the the parent teach that their kid. You know, this is what this song is about. This is why you need to stay away from heroin. Don't listen to the song and think, oh, this is a cool thing, and I'll be cool like Keith Richards. Now, now let me add this quick. There's one slight misconception, and that's that art, whether it's rap, whether it's rock, whether it's poetry, whether it's, you know, painting, it's interpretation. Ten people could listen or look at the same thing, and you'll have ten different interpretations. It's all on how the person is brought up And going back to My brother's point there It is Based on the parents Now You know It wasn't that long ago That the Supreme Court Heard a case And Judas Priest Over the subliminal satanic messages Supposedly Within their uh, music you know, that was back in 1986, I believe. Mm. That the U.S. Supreme Court took the time to listen to a case about subliminal messages about suicide within the music. Because it, 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 they never took into account that maybe the parents weren't giving that child enough attention. Mm-hmm. They never account that maybe that child was fighting some hidden demons within drug use or what's up. All they did was held the band accountable. And they ended up having to pay. And, it, and it's so easy to make everybody else escape. You know, it's, exactly. it's, 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 it's so easy to, to point fingers instead of looking and doing a self-evaluation. It's, it's so easy That's to do that. We live in a society that we tend to do that. Yep, and I know I know some of us here remember the whole U.S. Supreme Court versus two live crew, the whole freedom of speech within <laughs> music trial that ended up bringing in our very famous and yet used parental advisory warnings within CDs that may be a little bit of mature within its lyrics. But once again, what never got taken into account wow. were the parents allowing underage children to listen to this type of music. That reminds, cool. <laughs> that reminds me of an interview I saw um, oh, back in the 80s. I was watching t- the Today Show when Jane Polly was on the Today Show. She had Frank Zappa as a guest. And she asked Frank Zappa something about, oh, you've raised your children drug-free and your children are very healthy and everything. How is it that a rock star can 
can raise um, perfectly healthy children. And, and Frank Zappa was livid. He, he was so upset. He was like, what are you talking about? That, now, if you remember, and I, I don't know, sir, how old are you? 42. Now, how old are you? 42. Okay. And, uh, there was a time when the life of Elvis Presley was held as taboo. You know? I know, Elvis the pelvis. That's right. You know, and there was a time in a, you know, say, uh, you know, the, the hip movements, not just of Elvis, but, you know, of uh, Frankie Robinson, you know, or, you know, it was all held taboo. But once again, the people fail and refuse to accept accountability on all this. And that's where the problem falls in. You know, it's it's not on the musicians. The musician's job is to make music, make, sell records. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, the stuff that they talking about is adult, Absolutely. adult content. Just like you have people that are, you know, talk, you know. Like I hate to use this analogy, but just like adult videos, those for adults, no, no child should have access to it anyway. So why are we even have? Why would you even have that discussion? Yep, and, and you know, people, people just need to relax, sit back, relax, start taking accountability on themselves. But it's much easier to point the finger at the other person. Oh no, shouldn't have been me. I did everything for that child. I did this. I did that. Look, my stepson is a piece of shit. Whoa, kid. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I do apologize, but... Well, they, but you but, know, we but, keep it real on this show, so I... I brought him up the right way. But he chose his own path. Mm-hmm. You know? And he will reap the consequences of his own actions. You know, when it comes down to it and he's all of a sudden, you know, facing the judgment and he looks up to me for help, too late for me to help you. I gave you all the things you needed. You chose to turn the other way. I'm ready, bro. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he... he, uh, Yeah, I think one thing that I've noticed here that all these situations have in common is whether it's a gun that kills someone, whether it's a car that kills someone, whether it's the music that drives a person to kill someone or suicide or the drug addiction. In every case scenario, the common denominator is somewhere there's an idiot involved. Mm -hmm. And that's a human factor. Yeah, that human factor gets to be screwed up. There's a myriad of reasons and whys out there. But blaming the music, blaming the gun, blaming the person. No, they're blaming the wrong things. Common denominator in all of it is still a human factor. A human factor, always. Um, 664, do you have something to say? I know you've been sitting there pretty quiet. Are you just listening? 
yes, I am just, just yeah, but I really do want to say something. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think, yeah, go ahead. I think when it all boils down, we look at rap music being associated with violence and then violence being associated with African Americans. And when it all boils down and you tie it all together, that is, you know, why I truly believe that a lot of people, you know, will become offended because they truly assume that all African Americans are violent just because they listen to certain music. And I agree with one thing that Seneca said, all people, all people or all African Americans that listen to rap music um, are not, do not associate themselves with their lifestyle. And so I think that, you know, what happened in this case is that this man, you know, really assumed, he really assumed that just because this young man was playing the music, he assumed that the young man was violent. You know, and not having a gun on him, not having anything on him, he just assumed by that music, you know, that that young man was violent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, that's that's. I maybe I didn't um, voice it correctly, but um, some of these musicians, you know, they are creating their music from their own experiences. You know, um, some hip hop artists, some punk rock musicians, some. Uh, uh, country musicians, whatever you know, whatever kind of music you're making, you are creating it from your own experience. Some people just like the style; they don't have the experience, but they love the style, and so they imitate it. But um, I think that gets all mashed together and confused by the mass media. So some people that see this in the media, they misinterpret it. You know, you you got someone, you got A, you know, person A, who actually lives the lifestyle and is creating their music or their art or whatever based on their lifestyle. And then you got B, who does not live that lifestyle, but likes the that style of art and is imitating it or creating it. Um, I I, am I uh, am I getting myself confused here? Either way, either way, it's not it's no excuse for someone else to just assume because some other person is listening to let's say, country music, let's just assume, oh, they're just some drunken, whiskey-swilling, female-bashing redneck from Texas just because they're listening to Johnny Cash or whatever. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because I've got a story here that I'd like to submit into this, and this is a total flip side thing. Seneca knows that I tend to be rather outspoken on some things. You don't have to usually wait too long to ask me what I think because I usually tell you. And one of the things, like, I myself, I am a a Caucasian male that lives in southern Indiana, 
and I am a gay man. And I live in Republican redneck heaven. Now, if I am parked along the at a stoplight and there is a vehicle next to me that is blaring the hardcore twangy country music, I'm pretty outspoken. I'm pretty much the type that I'll tell you what I think. But do you think that me, fitting the demographic that I am, am going to roll my window down and tell that redneck to turn his music down? Hell no. <laughs> I ain't going to do it. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and think, you know what, the light's going to change. I'm going to roll on down the road here. I ain't going to square off with a redneck. <laughs> you know, not happening. You know, so... Opposite sides of the spectrum there? Uh-uh. No. Just, you know, if you thought that there was a situation, if you thought you were going to get yourself into a situation that could potentially be violent to you, why did you even open your mouth in the first place? Leave. Oh, that's a good point. Very good point. Very good point. But once again, you know, hey, hey, that, that point is validated on the assumption. Of a stereotype. That's true. You know? That's true. It's unforgettable. If you were to look at my MP3 player, okay, and, uh, you know, I, again, I'm a history. Uh, I'm being your MP3 player. We uh, we just stuck a couple of items in that MP3 player, JR. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to put you on blast, though. I ain't going to put you on blast. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if you look at if you looked at what's in my CD player, you'd think I'm German. <laughs> yeah, hey, I mean, I, I'm a Hispanic <laughs> of all kinds of music, you know? As long as I can find a point of relation to it. It don't matter. Right. I've got some grass. I've got some country. I've got some rap. I've got some, you know, techno. I've got some rock, you know? But music to me is enjoyment. It's art. That's exactly all it is. You know, just like I can go to a uh, museum and enjoy the works of art from many different artists. Some people like Van Gogh's, other people like uh, Monet. You know, me, right. I, I enjoy the expressions that I get from looking at that art. I enjoy my own interpretation, you know, and that people have been drawn away from being independent thinkers to having have been told, hey, you got to start thinking this about this. So I think the point that we're trying to get at is that we, as a society, we are letting certain stereotypes define how we are going to... How we should conduct ourselves. Well, not conduct ourselves, how we are going to interact with other members of our same society just because, as in this example, you got two cars parked next to each other, and one of those cars is a couple of teenagers playing some loud rap music or hip-hop, and you got another guy in another car that objects to that music, and for whatever reason he doesn't like that music, he opens his fat mouth and tells him to shut up, you know, turn it down, and he sees, oh, Black people shoot first. Ask questions later. Sure, we've become a sheeple. You know, 
What, what are... Oh, and, you know, and in response to that, and I guess I should have clarified this as well, when I gave my little example there of me here in the sticks and, you know, I roll up on something like that, I'm not going to engage something in that situation. Another little part to that is I am a gun owner. I am a licensed gun owner. Yeah, what's the point? Why why even bother? Exactly. Like why you would said, you you're going to roll down the road. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to listen to that Yeah, the light change, and when the light changes, you can can either slow down and let them pass you, or you can just go on and get away from it. Yeah, you can just roll up your window and and turn up your radio even louder so you can't hear them. So what? Big deal. And 30 seconds, you'll be away. To the person, you made a choice. Huh? Jeremy? No, I don't think so. I was too much background. Oh, I'm sorry. I said uh, that that all eventually comes down to the choice that the person makes, individual decisions. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes we make the right choices, sometimes we make the wrong choices. And that's the game that we call life, my friends. Um, can I point out also that something that just occurred to me, maybe this guy had something happen to him in the past that made him go ballistic. No. So, to react um, proactively, maybe for some reason, maybe at some point in the past, he, you know, I'm not trying to defend this person, but maybe there is something that happened to him that makes him feel defensive and uh, pull the gun first. And oh, no. not, and like so, I said, I'm not trying to defend him. I'm not trying to part? say I'm not trying trying to throw the onus onto anyone else. But maybe there's something that we don't know about that made him act that way, act but so offensively. This, but, but, but this is what I'm saying. I hear what you're saying, but what I'm saying is if you are to that point where you are willing to take another person's life and your issues, you got issues that you're dealing with that are that extensive, then you need to go get some help. Something's wrong with you. Especially when oh, yeah. you right. are about to take somebody's life and they don't even have a gun to defend themselves with. Well, right. I, like I said, I'm not trying to defend that person. I, I'm, I'm not trying to defend his actions or anything like that, but um, maybe there's something that we don't know about that... Um, hey, but, but see, even at that point, though, it's still no excuse. For example, it, me having been a U.S. Marine, okay, I have been in close encounter combat, okay? Now, I can't go into the specifics of that, but I am a licensed uh, gun carrier in this state, but I don't carry a gun anymore because it is it is a reaction of me. If I ever point that gun, I am going to shoot. You see what I'm saying? So I took my own responsibility on that, and gave up, you know, ended up selling my guns. I still got my knives, but I ended up selling my guns in order to, you know, avoid that liability. It's all a personal choice. Right, a, a choice of responsibility. Right, well, exactly. Yeah, I'm not, not going to argue that. I'm sorry, man. What did you Go say? Ahead. Six, five, seven, go ahead. Oh. Let me, six, five, yes, seven, you know what? Yes, and you know what, and it really was a personal choice, but the question that I have, too, is, you know, would he have put out the gun and shot that young man if he was anything other than African-American? 
Would, would he have done that? Well, that's, 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 what, I'm, uh, that's what I'm asking also. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there's And that's you know, a question that probably we will on. never know the answer to. Right. No, no, no. That, that was just a question that I threw out there. But I think yes, that when it yes, all boils down, there's, there, there was hatred. There was some type of hatred because a person is not going to just pull out a gun and just shoot somebody. Yeah, that, that was pure hatred. Yeah, there was hatred. I don't. I don't even think that the music was an issue. I. I don't think the music was an issue. I think the color was an issue, and I'm just going to be real about it. I think the color was an issue, and I really believe that when you are that that when you have hatred like that towards um, a, a race, that is something that is learned. You know, that isn't something that, you know, you're just born with. That is something that is learned, and he was either taught to be that way or, you know, just just like somebody else has said that that was just one of his personal feelings or whatever about African Americans. But fact of the matter is um, I truly believe that it had nothing to do with the music. It had everything to do with the culture. And, and, you know, that could very well have been the case. Uh, me and Seneca have had plenty of conversations over different, you know, racial, uh, very racist, uh, inhumane actions throughout the country. Mm-hmm. For example, back in 2002, in the state of Mississippi, all right, 30 miles east of Jackson, Mississippi, there's a little town there. I cannot remember the name of it to save my life. But there was a teenage boy of African-American descent who was drugged 35 miles in the back of a pickup by a couple oh, of white Oh, Lord, Jesus. You know? And a, a 35 miles. Now, these guys got exactly what was coming to them, you know? But a, the, the uh, district attorney went after them with federal and state charges, you know? And they are on death row. But here's the thing, and the, and and you know the the guys admitted they only did it because the guy was uh, African American, not exactly in them words I'm sure, but oh, you yeah. know, it it, it 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 maybe this guy is out of his mind racist. Maybe he's just insane. Maybe he just ended up getting a clap from some prostitute that night. He was just mad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe his check didn't get the time. We'll never know what the reason was. Maybe there was just no reason. Maybe he was just one wrong thing away from going postal because he hated his job. And instead of going postal at his job, he took it out on this kid. You know? Yeah, but maybe. They, exactly. But, we could never know yeah, what what, pretty, what it was. Maybe he was drunk and was upset about something and... And Absolutely. just this loud music. Uh, I don't know. Um, it's no it's hard for us to say, but either way, we can agree that this guy did something wrong, that this should never have happened. He should be facing the harshest punishment allowable by law. You know? And, 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 and I'm firm and speaking of law, I think it's time that you know you would have thought that Florida would have learned its lesson and gotten rid and changed up and gotten rid of some of this castle law doctrine. Yeah, the the, the defense. Indiana has a position. castle law doctrine, but it only applies to in your own home. 
I don't know if he was drunk or what, but uh, he wandered into someone's yard, and the 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 person, the uh, the homeowner, for whatever reason, felt threatened and pulled a shotgun and told the guy, "Get off my yard!" And the Japanese student was like, you know, didn't understand, and you know, was tried to approach the guy and talk to him, and the guy shot him, shot him dead. And it was a big issue. And there was actually an American college student that a year or two later went to Japan, found that 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 kid's family, and personally apologized and lived with, with them for like a month or so to you know apologize on you know, our behalf and try and make things right. And it's a very Japanese thing to do, but um, that's another example of where. American gun owners are pulling the trigger unnecessarily. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know if we go with this one. Do what? I said I really don't know where to go with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm think, see me, I'm, I'm very pro amendment, you know, and it, it, it's just because of the history of the Second Amendment, you know. For some reason, I can't talk today. <laughs> and you know, the, the the whole purpose of the Second Amendment is for us to be able to protect ourselves against our government in case it ever goes into a tyranny form. You know, exactly. the purpose of the Second Amendment was because of the British occupation of America before America was a, its own country. We were a colony, and the British Empire prevented a, a personal ownership of firearms. And in order for the American gov- America to gain independence from the British Empire, we had to have guns. So we put that in. It's it's an outdated um, policy. It's something that is not necessary anymore. And with I respect to our former um, the guest um, Jr. I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, with respect yeah. to him, he he said that he is a proud gun owner and believes in gun ownership and whatnot. Uh, with respect to him, I still think that that is something that is outdated. Oh. We don't need it anymore. It is not a, necessary. Well, that may hold true in uh, societies, and I have to say I'm going to have to respect to agree with you being a gun owner myself. In a not outside of an environment, Within an urban environment, that may be true. But outside of the urban environment, I still see a necessity for it. But that's me myself. What do you need it for? To hunt? To hunt? Yes. For personal protection? Well, in my line of work, uh, people need to have the right to bear arms. Yeah, in my line of work, uh, when I'm not working, yeah, the people I deal with, yeah, I'd like one for my protection. 
And, and this, but this is a, this brings up a good point too. Do you guys think that uh, I think Gerald has got um, disconnected? But do you kind of think that uh, we need to look at gun control because, like, when we looked at what happened in Colorado at that movie theater, that guy shouldn't have had access to that 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 many guns, and like, especially semi-automatic guns like that. What what do you need with that? And 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 and, and he was never questioned. He was never none of that. He it, it seems like uh-huh. if you have the money, if you have the money. And you have, you know, what I'm saying, you, you can you can have a whole arsenal of weapons and, and explosives, and, and there's no accountability. Well, there there we is accountability, but my example that I like in this is, for example, vehicle ownership. You know, more people die every year of misuse of a vehicle than they do guns. And, and you can go Vehicles are not intended to kill people. Vehicles uh, are used for transporting okay. goods, exactly. getting you to and from work. Guns are used for nothing more than for killing something. However, both items were not meant to kill people. Um, I disagree. The invention of the gun was for killing people. Well, of course. something. But in today's society, as uh, society has changed, in a civilized, what's supposed to be a responsible society, both items are not innocent people. And yet people use them to kill innocent people. That's true, for both items. No, the 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 car, the vehicle is used to get you to and from work, to get you to the grocery store, to transport goods from one state to another. A gun is used to kill something. I have to agree with Kane on this, and I'm sorry. Yeah, and and still, that's where I'm going to side here as a gun owner that likes having and likes having those items. I'm going to say, you know, you can argue both points. But I'm you not going to argue with your, your right to own a gun. Like you, you can't have a gun as an aesthetic I can't hear anybody uh, piece of... Oh, I'm sorry. Michael, okay. um, I'm not going to argue with your right to own a gun uh-huh. as an aesthetic piece, you know, something that you can look at and admire and maybe go out and shoot some targets. Uh-huh. But that gun has no other use other than to kill something, whether it is a deer or a person. A sure. car or a And I am a handgun owner, used. and I can tell you when I am outside of my home, I've got a handgun probably on me. But my okay. thing is you can't assume that everybody is responsible as you. That's true, and that is 100% of the whole issue. That's you're absolutely right. So, if you go into the whole aspect of looking at the whole situation, and this is where I, even though I'm a Democrat, this is where I tend to differ on a typical Democrat platform. This is probably the only Republican quality I have about me is I like having my weapon. 
And I I think I have the right to carry that. But nobody's in. questioning you. Nobody's saying that you can't have a gun, but I'm just saying where's the bounds of reason? Why do you need a semi-automatic gun? Why do you need certain weapons? Why do you need that? If you're not, I mean, you can see you having a shotgun. I can see you having a handgun or a nine. But why do you need a gun like that? You do not need that. Michael, you could be sitting in a car just like this young gentleman we've been talking about, listening to rap music, and um, this person objects to your music, and you roll down the window after they yell at you, and they see your gun in the holster on your shoulder or your your pocket or whatever, and they shoot you even though you have no reason to defend yourself or you feel no reason to to defend yourself, what good has that gun done you? I guess I should have been quicker on the draw then. Yes, but <laughs> you don't have an opportunity to pull the gun. Well, that the, the point yeah, is that yeah, we're compared, there's, yeah. gun, there's going to be someone quicker than you then. Mm-hmm. So I work in a line of work where I deal with a, ver- a lot of bad people. And in this small community, I run into a lot of those really bad outside of my work. So a lot of times, it's kind of really good. Now, God willing, I hope I never have to touch it. So if we had across the board, excuse me, if we had across the board uh, reform on gun control, then I would, would probably it not be not reasonable to would, would it not be reasonable to suggest that you would not need to carry a gun if the same people were not also allowed to threaten you in any okay. way that the thing is when I run into those people outside of my job, I run into them at gas stations, restaurants, grocery stores. It's nothing under the sun for me to go to my gas uh, a Speedway gas station here in town and have one, maybe two, come up to me and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And, you know, sometimes you don't see them coming. Sometimes you do. You know, if one of them's really ticked off, who says I catch a knife to a back instead of a bullet? You know. Right, but... Hmm. See, there's always another side to the issue. Yes, but guns always escalate the issue. It always gets escalated. If you go to uh, a country such as Japan, where people are not allowed to own guns without yeah. very incredibly yeah, America, strict... America, we're, we're out of control. We're, we have the highest like, gun, yeah. If you go to somewhere like Japan where it's very incredibly strict control and it's very difficult to own a personal firearm, then uh, where even the police are only allowed usage of firearms in certain circumstances, then that kind of violence is significantly reduced. Well, but Japan also has a much more peaceful society than we do. Ah, well, this goes back to some other things. 
That's but, true. Um, and this goes we've back built, to where we, built, in Japan, the violent culture we have, we we built that. You know, we we really, have to significantly know. readjust our our. Uh, again, Michael, I I I am not going to suggest that you give up your guns. Um, because you know there are people that like guns just for a collection, just like you have a stamp collection. Of course, you know for aesthetic reasons. Because you know some guns are really beautiful; they're really cool to look at, and whatnot. And my father, my father has guns. He's got a, uh, he's got shotguns. He's got twenty twos. He's got a, uh, an old Luger from World War II that was given to him from one of his uncles that fought in World War II. Um, but that's a collection. He doesn't use that. He just has it to look at. Right. He doesn't carry that stuff around with him. Um, using the amendments to uh, justify carrying a gun around just to carry a gun around is just asking for trouble. Well, I, mean, I, I went to a, a Rickers here up here in Anderson, and there was a guy. He had a, a in full view a sidearm, mm-hmm. and I was very nervous. I was like, "Okay, what if some, like some what if some numbnuts comes in and tries to rob the?" Uh, uh, the Rickers. This guy's going to pull his gun out and start shooting. Someone's going to get hurt. Now, here's another question that I want to throw out for consideration, kind of along the same lines. Had there been responsible gun owners in Colorado the day in that movie theater, could they have shot that guy before he injured or killed 70 people? Maybe, maybe not. However, maybe more maybe more people would have been killed because someone they're in a movie theater, it's dark, people are going to be start shooting left and right. But people were able to pick this guy out of a crowd. You know, I as a gun owner, had yeah. I been in the theater, you know, you, it's always easy to say. Sure. In fact, I wasn't there and da 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 da, but could you have been? What would I have done? One, I'd have tried to run like everybody else. Yeah, just because you're a gun owner and you're licensed doesn't mean you can shoot your gun accurately. You might start just shooting left and right because you're being shot at, you're you're panicking, you're just going to start firing off shots, you're going to so hit I mean, some the innocent thing people. Is, still, this guy killed 70 people. It would have been really nice if somebody could have just stopped him. True, but there's also the possibility that as a gun owner in that theater, you could have shot someone, an innocent, in the effort of trying to shoot the uh, offender. Um, so I don't know. I've never, and I hope to God I never have to discharge a gun in defense of mine or anyone else's life. I'll live, I'll die very happy if I never have to do that. But Well, I hope you never have to also. I mean, I hope no one else. No one that's here has to deal with this situation. Right, but I'm just saying, you know, that's an example of. Oh. You know, could someone if, have stopped him? If I, if I, Possibly. if it were me, 
and I was licensed to carry a gun, you know, conceal or hold and conceal or whatever, and I was in that situation, you know, honestly, I would probably just start shooting. And, you know, honestly, that would probably kill or injure some other people that, um, I, I don't know. I, I can't say. I mean, because the first good rule of any responsible training, if you are carrying a firearm for personal protection, the first good rule of any of the training is, what's the number one rule of a gunfight? Don't get in a gunfight. Get that right. out of it. But, but in this situation, what's the reality? The reality is if you're trapped in a theater and he's popping off rounds, I think I would have took a shot at him. But yes, true. But but what is the real reality? You're getting shot at. You're going to react. Mm-hmm. Personal, you know, you're, you're going to react. Yeah. Not all people are going to be able to react rationally. Right, and that but that's the whole problem with all of it is. And that's rational. why, and exactly, that's why. There needs to be a rational gun control uh, enacted, in in that so you know, some people some people will, such as yourself. Uh, I'm not going to uh, let me use yourself as an example. Uh-huh. You have, uh, I guess, some training or whatnot on on uh, using your, your firearm. Sure, yeah. You've gone to a, a, a shooting range. You know how to use your firearm. Mm-hmm. Um, you seem to sound like you have a, a strategy if you're in that situation where you're being fired on and how to protect yourself. But can you honestly say that you are going to react um accurately are you if someone just starts spraying bullets at you are you going to target that person or are you going to just start spraying bullets back well my first of visceral gut reaction is number 1 hope to god i don't get hit with one of theirs but the number two result is if you don't take the time to make the, your shot count in that situation, then you've done you you're not doing yourself or anybody else any good. Yeah, but are you honestly going to be able to say you're going to have that time to take that shot? That's part of the deal of carrying it. If you can't make it good and you can't eliminate your Self out of that situation, then you can't take it. So, with that said, then. Gun in other words, do I think in that situation that I would do that? Yes, I firmly do believe I would. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you say you do, but until you've been tested with that situation, the only people that we can say that have actually been tested in that situation are people that have actually been in that situation, for example, soldiers, you cannot... Soldiers and police officers. Police soldiers, or police officers, or uh, army soldiers, marines, whatnot, 
they are very well trained, but just people like you and I, we cannot say that. Well, hmm. I don't know. That you know, and see, that's where it be. I can. I really do think I can say that because there's probably a little bit more to my background here that I'm willing to indulge on open air. Okay, but, well, if if you think that that's the case, then then sure. But I don't think most gun-carrying okay. Americans are yeah. going to be able to say so much. And when it comes down to the gun control issue, the reason I get a little bit on the defensive side with it is because – and I'll agree, there's a lot of crazy people out there that own guns. You don't need no damn guns. You got it. There's a lot of people out there like that. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Uh, I'm going to say right now, if I was a person that was going to carry a gun and I was in a, a movie theater and someone came in and started shooting <coughs> and and I had a gun, I'm going to start shooting back and probably... I might be responsible for killing just as many people or injuring just as many people as the other person just because I'm going to panic and I'm going to start shooting back. Yeah, well, and unfortunately, if if that that's the thing, of, if that's the situation, then they don't need one. Right, exactly, and that's why... There is need for more gun control. But at what point do you get to where, at what situation or at what stage do you get where <clears throat> the gun control is not, it's not. It well, again, this goes back to the whole thing with the uh, the gun law uh or our right to bear arms is coming from a time 200 years ago 200 over 200 years ago when we were a colony and not allowed because another empire was governing us and we needed to be able to overthrow that government and gain independence it's it's just an an outdated law. It's something you know. It's just like uh, the whole thing with uh, you know well, same sex marriage. It's just an idea that is no longer needed. We we you know we've moved beyond that. So I guess my question then would be, when we talk gun control, at what point is the gun control laws that we put on the book good and useful and serving a true purpose? And then at what point is it getting to where it is a right of an If you are someone who, for example likes to hunt, go deer hunting. Actually, I've not deer hunted in over 12 years. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter whether you or not, but if you are someone that likes deer hunting, then you have every right to have your gun 
you know, your rifle, your twelve your twelve gauge shotgun, go go mm-hmm. out and uh do some deer hunting. That's that's your right. That's you you have every uh right and the to Colorado do that. Thing was uh, but not it, really done with a twelve gauge. It was done with an assault rifle that was you know, a semi-automatic assault rifle that had a humongously round clip capacity, humongous clip capacity that he could literally just spray lead for quite a long time. You know, yeah, there's no point in hunting deer with a uh, automatic rifle. You can't hunt deer with those. Well, I said, what are you going? What are you going to do with that? Yeah, you can't hunt deer with those things. No, there's no point in having that then. I mean, yeah, you're you're going to spray lead. your deer with lead, and then it's it's there's nothing left. <laughs> so yeah, but I mean there is a place for people owning firearms in American society, but we also have to examine where that place is. If you live in the inner in an a city, what do you have a gun for? What are you going to do with that gun? You're going to kill people. That's what the gun's for. However, D.C. tried, Washington, D.C. themselves tried banning, you know, guns within the city limits of D.C. or something to this effect, uh, ownership or something, I forget the exact law, went to the Supreme Court and they shoved it back to them and said, sorry, can't do that. You know, and, you know, and I don't know, that's one of the things of, you know, I I see what you're saying. I understand the whole concept of, you know, this automatic rifle that sprays, you know, can empty a 30-round clip in three seconds. You know, what are you going to do with that? You're not going to hunt with it. And as a matter of personal protection, you can't exactly sling it over your shoulder and carry it into your local Walmart. <laughs> without getting the police called on you, you know, what is the real and practical use of it? So then again, though, if you go to expand that in long, extended, litigious society, you're going to get into this whole drawn-out issue of, well, if we ban that gun, then let's ban these two, and then you're going to have other people going back and forth and, you know, what's practical. Okay, so you're getting into the slippery slope argument. Exactly. Okay, well, that slope can be stopped. There are some slippery slopes that we cannot even approach, but with this one, it can be stopped. There is no reason for a regular citizen such as yourself or myself to have an automatic rifle. I mean, now the what are we going to do? What are we going to? What are we going to do with that? Besides, kill people. There's no other use for that kind of weapon to be used except to kill people. And if I'm correct um, in my thinking, if he really truly had a fully automatic rifle, I do. I would be very interested to know how he got that, because there are a lot of hoops. You have to jump through to get a fully automatic rifle. Well, they did something. I seen a no. special. They went. They went to that store where he bought that stuff, and they and they saw how 